Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of the Cinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today, in anticipation of the upcoming sequel, we're going back to where the film fandom really started. We're going back to the Matrix. That's right. Today, we're going to be doing a retrospective on the Matrix trilogy. So that includes The Matrix in 1999 and then 2003's The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. I will be taking a look at each film individually before discussing whether or not they work together successfully as a trilogy. And then we'll close out today's podcast conversation with a, a little bit about our hopes and dreams for the upcoming Matrix Resurrections. I can't travel down the rabbit hole alone. Joining me in taking the red pill on this journey is none other than one of the biggest Matrix fans I think I, I I know, frankly, Dalton Stewart from Good Trash Media. Welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. Always good to be here, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Uh, of course. And then wouldn't be complete without my good friend, Daniel Bokemper from the Cinematropolis. Sir, welcome back. Thank you for having me as well. I uh, absolutely did not agree to take a red pill, though. Oh, I had to slide that into your... Oh, Don't no. dose your friends. No. That's not nice. Caleb. I got, I, I'm just looking out for your best interest here, Daniel. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> that's how they all start and the yeah. next thing you know daniel's in the bathroom with his shirt off crying oh goodness uh ladies and gentlemen i promise i do not dose my friends i swear i swear this is actually a little bit of a prelude a very lengthy prelude that is because we're also going to be joined uh the three of us along with our friend laron chapman will be joining us for our review of the matrix resurrections which we're hoping fingers crossed to get to you as a little christmas gift uh before you head into the holiday season now, that said, um, before we do get into today's conversation, I did want to note that if you're listening to the podcast today and you enjoy our conversation and conversations that we've had like these, please support the show by subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app, most notably for the Apple Podcast listeners. In fact, if you have Apple Podcasts, you know, on your phone, which if you have an iPhone, it's, it's there, you should really do us a solid and just go in and give us a five-star rating and maybe a review if you're feeling extra generous. But we're here to talk about the, the Matrix. Let's move on from, from the housekeeping. I want to break the ice here just to get a sense of where we're all at in our relationship with the films by asking a question. So it, it goes without saying, we're going to be going really in depth on each one of the, the films, especially the 1999 film. It goes without saying that the Matrix has been hugely influential since it was released. So I'm going to ask the question, one of two questions. Firstly, what is your favorite Matrix knockoff and why? And Daniel Bokemper, I'll start with you. It is kind of hard to frame this because like the matrix pulls so much. And I know we'll get into like the literary and, and maybe other film influences uh, that it has, but it, it was kind of hard for me to like pin one down as like a matrix knockoff. But I think the one I, I decided on uh, was the Deus Ex video game franchise, um, both starting with the, the, uh, the original Deus Ex in uh, 2000, I believe, but even more so with the invisible war in 2005 and then human resolution revolution, um, in 2010, again, it doesn't have the same alternate uh, digital reality that the Matrix explores, but it does have a lot of the same aesthetics, uh, a lot of augmenta augmentation, uh, looking for definitions of what a human is and what a human can be. Um, and yeah, overall, definitely hits on some of the high notes and, and a lot of Matrix flavor in that video game franchise. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, the whole cyberpunk genre really i think since the matrix has been different that reminds right. me of a game that just came out almost a year ago that no one cares about anymore called cyberpunk 2077 that in fact starred keanu reeves also i guess widely influenced i didn't even think Wait about a video games. <laughs> <laughs> surprise this is that, a cyberpunk podcast. that was a thing wasn't it wow what it happened sure to was. Damn. it came 
it was tragic. It went, we moved on. Dalton Stewart, what is what would you say is your favorite Matrix knockoff? Well, I decided to go with, you know, one of the contemporaries, kind of early aughts, as Daniel did, thinking about what what sort of came out right in that, that initial wake right afterwards. And I had to go with one of the uh, originators of what some have called vape cinema, uh, not not a aesthetic I can claim picking, uh, but uh, the Underworld franchise, I think, is really sort of where, where the Matrix dodges a lot of its feeling aged. I feel like it's, it doesn't feel like a late nineties thing. Uh, the underworld movies definitely feel like an early aughts thing, but, uh, I don't know. I like the flowing coats and it says, what if the gunfights from the matrix, but with monsters, wouldn't that be something? And I say, yes, it is something. It's something dumb, but I like, I like that sometimes. No, you know, it's lots of fun. And, and remember the prequel that was basically like game of Thrones in that same universe. That was kind of cool. I like that. I kind of forgot about that one actually, but yes, now that you're mentioning, it, I do remember some bullet time with crossbow bolts, rise of the lichens. I'm almost ashamed to say that I remember that, but uh, hey, that's a fun franchise. I mean, I definitely saw it in theaters. Yeah, no, you're you're bringing a lot of memories back to the front of my mind. Absolutely. I guarantee you people listening to this podcast have all seen at least one of the Underworld films, if not being closeted fans, because turns out I have discovered over the years mm-hmm. there are a lot of closeted Underworld fans. So that makes sense. There's a I mean, in the second one, a werewolf gets the top of its head pulled off. That's just wild stuff to happen in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, bud? What, 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 what is yeah. an imitator that really speaks to your heart? Well, I'm going to start, you know, where you started there, Dalton, going back to other films that came out in the same time period. I'm going to say uh, a little film called Equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1984 with gun Fu. Sure. Exactly. The Matrix uh, plus nine. 1984 with a little bit of gung fu in there. Uh, it's set in a dystopian future. It's got Sean Bean. Uh, he he dies. Spoilers. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Christian Bale. It's a fun movie. It probably hasn't held up. I haven't watched it in at least 10 years, but last time I watched it, I seem to remember enjoying it. Uh, it's a great, it's on TV and you watch it movie. I'd also throw out there, I'm not a knockoff, but I'm just going to say, we wouldn't have Inception without the Matrix. Just gonna throw that. I'm gonna throw that out there because the sure, whole question sure. reality, cerebral sci-fi, and there's even a little bit of like some of the the practical stunt work that I think is at least is inspired by what we saw in the Matrix. So Christopher Nolan, I don't think he ever cite. Well, I guess he did cite the Matrix at one point. As sure, he must have. Yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on. I mean, even if he didn't. Yeah. Come on. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, those would be uh, my selections. I think those are all great uh, attacking it from different angles. Uh, now, the more important question here, uh, assuming your friend has not dosed you and you didn't know about it. Yeah, true. Knowing what you know about the Matrix, would you take the red pill or the blue pill? Very important question. Really sets the stage for the conversation today. Dalton Stewart, I'm starting with you on this one. No, no, no. What? No. Get me out of here. Unplug this computer, baby. Free my mind. I'm taking that red pill. Come on. But what about the taste of steak, Dalton? I, I love the goop. Give me that goop. I want that chocolate cake. <clears throat> What's going on with that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, while we're on the subject, though, it is one of the all-time great food scenes, truly. Never has a steak looked so aesthetically pleasing on film. I, honestly, two great back-to-back food scenes, truly, if, if we're talking about the dietary uh, palate of the Matrix. Daniel. Yeah. You want that cake? I thought I'd take the red pill. Yeah, I come on. But I want to have the choice. I want to be like Cypher. I want to go back if I can, if I hate it. There is a compromise here. You know, when they drive by the place and Neo goes, oh, that place had great noodles. It is, you know, you can't stop. You can still eat the noodles. Just because they're not real doesn't mean it's not worth That's doing. Th- and what is real? Yeah. Anyway, you don't get time to get noodles on a mission. All yeah, right. Maybe not. I, I, that's a great point. But the question is, would it still taste the same if you know it's not real? 
I'm mean, that's that's true enlightenment, baby. Enjoying the noodles, even though you know they're real. <laughs> even though you know they're real. real. That yes. <laughs> I mean, I guess ascension. That's the, yeah. I, I mean, I guess I had the same feeling when I ate ramen in college. So what's the difference? Yeah, really? there you go. There you go. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I, I curiosity kills the cat sort of thing. I would I would I would take the red pill if I'm being honest. But the, but the but yeah. the but the blue pill is really tempting because uh, I the older I get, the more ignorance is bliss. But also, I just I can't stay away. Someone says if you take this pill, you're going to discover the the real truth. I I would totally do it. I mean, once that you know, you really can't like unknow. You know, like it's the like like you can't like have that. Well, I guess the blue pill makes you forget. Does it though? I don't know. I feel like something would always be nagging. Well, you know, in the trailer for Matrix Resurrections, I don't want to speculate too much, but we do see Neo with a bunch of blue pills, which would imply that they do help him forget. I don't know. We'll find out. All right. So there's a little bit about our relationships with the Matrix. And you can tell we're all the curious people who say, screw it. We'd rather accept the dark, awful reality with the red pill than, you know, live a lie. So, hey, I think that says something about us, maybe. Uh, with all that said, let's go ahead and start with part one of our conversation covering The Matrix. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? What is happening to me? The answer is out there, Neo. It's the question that drives us. What is the Matrix? The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? They're watching you, Neo. Now, according to IMDb, the Matrix is described as when a beautiful stranger leads computer hacker Neo to a forbidden world he discovers the shocking truth that life he knows is an elaborate deception of an evil cyber intelligence. I am so glad we had no IMDb back in the 90s because that, that's a spoiler right there. Well, I do love on IMDb the plot for uh, Matrix 4 currently says plot unknown, which is that's nice. Mwah. of them. We're going to get into it later, but I, I'm actually at this point officially avoiding new Matrix promo content, by the way. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Of course, this was released March 31st, 1999. Why is that significant? Well, The Matrix was a bit of a surprise because there was another film in the sci-fi genre that was hugely anticipated that same year called Star Wars The Phantom Menace that came out, I mean, what, a month and a half later. So you're like, is there even room for two huge sci-fi blockbusters? Well, it turns out there is because The Matrix grossed $466 million against a budget of $63 million, which uh, $466 million in 1999 is... Then the sneeze at. Is that uh, domestic or... Uh, worldwide? worldwide. Okay, right on. God, it's a big box office, though. It, it was a it was a grower here, you know. It it dropped off, but it it kept holding, you know. And then it would see it came back, uh, like on its third or fourth week, I think. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of when you look at its trajectory on the box office, it's kind of interesting how it it just word of mouth kept it going. Oh yeah, it, it's 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 funny to think because we, we we are so oversaturated in uh, internet culture to think about how movies stayed in the zeitgeist before you know there was social media or whatever. I mean, even up until Avatar, Avatar had sort of a similar box office trajectory where it it, it was kind of well, whatever, and then it grew. Right? Yeah, it's so yeah. We kept talking about it even even up until that recently. Yeah, it, it does feel like especially in the our kind of blended release era. Things just sort of come and go so quickly. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. So with that said, I have more thoughts on exactly what you were talking about there, Dalton, but let's just get quick impressions of the movie because we're, mm. we're going to do some overview and then we're going to dive into a lot of different subtopics. So does The Matrix 1999, the first film that is heralded as a classic, does it still hold up? Daniel Bokemper, I'll start with you. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think it appreciates, especially in our post-quarantine lives when we're had a lot more intimacy with technology and especially the internet and the things we interact with. I think also with the advent of things like VR. Um, and then I think we, as a whole, we're asking, you know, I think bigger questions. And then again, we opened with the discussion about what the matrix influenced. I think that influence has gained momentum over time, of course. And so, yeah, as far as the original film goes, I do think it, it, it appreciates, it absolutely holds up. Well, are there some things that don't, yeah, but overall, again, still perhaps one of the most important science fiction films ever. Excellent. Dalton Stewart, thoughts? It's a damn masterpiece. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's as you said, I'm a huge Matrix fan and yeah, I'm not going to hold my cards here. Yet. It's the reason that I'm, I'm here. No Matrix, no me talking about movies on the Internet. It just doesn't happen. Uh, I think it's great. I watch it. I, it, I watch the entire trilogy at least once a year, usually, uh, for the last couple of years now. Uh, it's, a, it's a recent holiday tradition I, I've started for myself. But uh, I just, uh, you know, I've, I've already completed my rewatch in anticipation for, but I, I went and checked out that uh, that limited IMAX re-release they did for a couple of days. And it's like watching it for the first time, man. You get to see that movie big, and it just sort of washes over you. Uh, and it, it's a magic trick that still works, I think. Yeah, as, as Danny, maybe I think you might have alluded to just now, uh, some of the effects are, you're starting to see the seams more and more, but I still think largely that it holds up so well. Even even the thing, I mean, it just looks incredible. It really does. Um, I think it's spectacular. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, come on, get, get out of here. Go listen, or go watch. Go put it in your eyeballs. Oh, watch it immediately. Stop what you're doing right now and then go watch it and then watch the sequels anyway. Whether, if, no in fact, yeah, if you haven't watched the sequels in a few years, uh, I'm going to make the case you should, mm -hmm. but you should go do that real quick so we can spoil the heck out of it. That's right. And grab a PlayStation 2 and play the Path of Neo. <laughs> actually, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. The Matrix Online. Hey, hey, the, uh, that's no joke. That's important. There no. were canon things that happened in this That case. too, yes. <laughs> Uh, so here's what I'm going to say. I unfortunately wasn't able to catch it in the IMAX, but I did catch the 20th anniversary release in the Dolby cinema yeah. two years ago, 2019. And when I saw it, I was like, holy cow, if you had, if I hadn't seen it and you had told me this was a new movie, I would have believed you. It looks spectacular. Yeah. And then I, for this rewatch prepping for this podcast, I, I turned it on again and I have, uh, I've actually have had the 4k Blu-rays just sitting on my shelf since I got my PS five last year, waiting for an excuse to, to jump on it. And I was worried. I'm like, is it still going to feel that way? Uh, maybe the home theater setting will make me feel a little different. Absolutely not. It looks incredible. I mean, sure. There are some, and I say some, because I, I don't think there's many, there are some effects yeah, you can see them. You can point them out. We're also in a world where CG makes up 90% of the Marvel films these days. So we're sort of our eyes are a little more trained forth than they used to be as well. I think these films not only look great, I think the effects generally hold up, but they actually do so much practically that it's yeah. a much healthier marriage between yep. what's actually captured on the set versus, you know, what's done post-production. Not to mention when you actually look at stuff like the bullet time, if you get it, if you haven't had a chance go check out how they did that it's super cool like I, I, I like they had to really think through how are we gonna do this effect so anyway they were wizards and that was 20 years ago i still think it's pretty impressive they came up with that that, that technology that uh, frankly is still with us today um i i think you know keanu reeves is a character that ages uh he's an actor that 
ages like a fine wine. People love to riff on him at the time. I always thought it was uh, endearing. And the older I get, the more endearing his performance it's a good becomes. Performance, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like because uh, he's he's playing that. He's playing the uh, the everyman hacker, though. You know, he's the, the cool everyman, the guy who does the stuff in the dark. But he's still just like a bro. Yeah, uh, and, and I think he does a really good job at putting that. That uh, he has to receive news with wonder a lot. Yeah, and he does so. I think very very well. Also doing lots of stunts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he well he would say that he doesn't do stunts. He does physical performances, uh, and then he 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 takes what the stunt people do very seriously. What 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 is is that this, a real thing? This is a real thing. Uh, I can't remember. I, I think I picked this up from somebody else's research, but yeah, that's a real thing as far as I know. He's a charmer that one, and I I think the performance actually works really well here. Lawrence Fishburne's great. I I think this is infinitely more ambitious than 98% of studio films today. Uh, the stuff they were doing is still kind of unique today, but it, at the time, I mean, holy cow, people hadn't seen anything like this movie. That's the thing. And there's very few mediums. I think only literature and even that literature wasn't received initially. Well, um, you know, the things that it kind of pulls from, I, I cannot think of another film, maybe like 2001, a space odyssey that was as ambitious as this film was and just went out on a limb and it flew like it, it absolutely nailed it. Yeah. There's no, there's no fat on this movie. It, it just, it moves. And like you said, everybody's so great at it before every, every character has like something resembling an arc. You know, you get you get a feel for everyone, even some of the more minor characters and every every performance, I think, is styled in APOC and Switch. Come on. They only have so many lines, but they're all so captivating. Listen, Mouse gets to go out epic fashion. Come on, Mouse. Come on. Well, all of our friends. We love them all. Even Cypher. I have a place in my heart for Cypher. I get it. I feel for yeah, a, new, Cypher. a fresh pair of pants. You know it. Uh, Joey. Joey B. Him. Come yeah, on. Yeah, come yeah, on, he, Joey he, Pants. Yeah. The one and only. <laughs> <laughs> he's so good, too, because there's something about it. You, you he's his. His, his character is relatable enough to like, I get it. But also he's super slimy at the yeah. same time. Uh, it's irresistible. Oh, and how can we forget Hugo Weaving? I mean, come on, this guy. We're going to talk about him in long scale, how he works consecutively through each movie. But like his monologuing uh, when he's talking to Morpheus in this movie is incredible. Have you ever stood and stared at it? Marveled at its beauty, its genius? Billions of people just living out their lives. Oblivious. Billions of people. Yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah, all of his lines are incredible. Yeah, he, he's doing this weird uh, voice that nobody sounds like. It's like nightmare office space. I, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, exactly. It's awesome. Seriously. They I have know the other agents talk like him. That's how cool how he talks is. <laughs> Ugh, sorry. No, no, it's it, it's it's great. And uh, no, sir, your men are already dead. Yeah, <laughs> and also, that's the other thing. Just the line, the zingers. Just there's. It's a funny movie. The Wachowski's got jokes. Uh, yeah. What's what's one of my um the. I, I re, you're cute. I can see why she likes you. Who? Oh, not too bright though. Come on, that's a great moment. <laughs> uh, check it out. It's worth your time. But let's let's dive a little deeper in here because we've already talked about how influential it is, and I've got a few different areas we can tackle. But I I, I do actually want to start here and discuss whether or not this is a, a strength or a weakness because this movie obviously there's lots of different types of philosophy, Eastern philosophy, Western philosophy kind of blended together. Uh, there's a lot of things they borrow from anime, a lot of things they borrow from literature, 
lot of cool stuff going on here. It's very layered film. Not even just literature, right? But uh, some of semiotics shit, you know, some literary theory even. Oh, oh, most definitely. They even bring up in the movie to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. But here's the thing. This movie made by trans directors, the the Wachowskis, Mm -hmm. you would think that this movie would be widely known as a sort of a pro trans film, which I think in those communities it is. Here's what I find interesting though, is uh, on the other side of the spectrum, some significantly less, uh, some more detestable people like, you know, men's rights activists that co-opted the, the red pill, blue pill thing. So I, I guess I just want to, I want to get your take here. I mean, why do you guys think this film has taken on such a powerful meeting for such a variety of groups? I mean, it's it's like that with any sort of yeah, like deep art, right? Like the the more the less shallow something is, the the more you can pull out of it. And, you yeah, know, there's instructive and constructive metaphors, right? There's uh, the sort of the Christ metaphors and, and you know economic theory metaphors that sort of teach you how to watch this movie. And then there's things you can take from the movie and construct other metaphors. But I, I don't know. I think it's pretty clear how how the world should feel about this. There's a character for these douchebags and it's cypher and the movie tells you how it feels about cypher pretty clearly yeah yeah and it does and just be like that speaks more to its i don't think that's a, a weakness of the film but more to its permeance and i mean it's the same totally. thing i mean timothy mcveigh he said well, well, star wars star, star wars, wars yeah, yeah that was his yeah. whole thing i mean does that mean star wars is inherently flawed no i think it resonates with a lot of audiences but in that same breath you know when you have such a such a like well-defined hero's journey such as the Matrix, such as even Star Wars, people will cling to that naturally. As sure. Dalton was getting at, people are going to find um, what they want out of it, and they're going to use it to their own aims. Um, many of those aims, I think, would be admirable. I do, and I'm not at all qualified to to dig into it. One thing I do wonder, and maybe just because the film uh, wasn't exploring it, but one question I do have about the Matrix, and again, I don't think it's a flaw, but to the note of maybe the trans allegory. I do wonder that the characters don't really look any different. There is a moment where they explain like, uh, uh, yeah, Caleb, I think yeah. I know what you're to bring up. Yeah. 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 Switch was actually yeah. supposed to be a different gender in the real world really? versus yeah. the matrix. Yeah. So these are okay. ideas that are even there early okay. on. The studio yeah. wasn't ready for it. That's okay. I, yeah. I suspected there might've been some of that. So I will, uh, back yeah. off of that. But, it, yeah, I, I, even even there, right? Like, it's not a metaphor that totally holds water, right? Like, Morpheus is an evangelist, and that don't don't put that in the queer community's <laughs> hand. No, that's not how they how how the world is. Yeah, so it's yeah. you know, no metaphor is going to be fully airtight, right? Especially if you are trying to take take the thing and use it to build other things. And some again, some of those are good, right? Like, I don't think there's necessarily anything bad about a constructive metaphor, yeah. but I mean, you're just going to have to reckon with yeah not everything is going to have a one-to-one correspondency when you start thinking about a piece that way no most definitely i mean here's the here's the thing here's the reason i even asked this question because i think this is high art and i think art should be provocative it should be ambiguous i've had very lengthy conversations with both of you at various chapters of my life about this sort of stuff but the sort of the the area i'm at right now is i almost feel like if people aren't lectured by the movie about what the point of the movie is that uh they're not going to get it okay so that is not a fault of the movie but i do want it does make me wonder you know what are some of the the negative consequences that that come out of some of the the art that is ultimately i think life-affirming again i'm not qualified to speak for or about the trans community, but you know, it seems to be more embraced by those communities, you know? 
I don't know. Just a thought. Well, I, I can't remember if it was Lana or Lily, but you know, they, they had a big fuck off for, for certain people's uh, talking about getting red pilled. So uh, there you have it. Right. Yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. And I, I think it's important to talk about like, what, what is this sort of, you know, film literacy uh, of, of the world? Right. I mean, it's a big question. Um, Were we I, ready for the matrix as a culture? <laughs> you know, I, I think it came out of the perfect time. No, I think, I think it really was perfect timing and just the, the intervening years have just deepened the conversation as obviously cultures change. There's been new bugaboos for us to deal with. Yeah. I, I do wonder if it came out post 2000 if it would have been it wouldn't have different. i bet it would have been I'm, fundamentally different if it comes out post uh, like 2001 because yeah, uh, that was the thing you mentioned the timing well the, and the, even the, after the the, the dot-com boom oh, or yeah. a, a bust rather because mm-hmm. that's happening in 99 so i feel like that's it's in the sort of in the zeitgeist but yeah 2000 2001 especially like yeah there's it, it sort of is right in it's situated in its moment sort of perfectly well i think the the late 90s, I, I actually, and this is one of the things I like about this film, the, the late 90s, at least an observation or hypothesis of mine is uh, we hadn't gone to war with uh, 9-11 yet. So there was a lot of, uh, especially among uh, men, there was a lot of anxiety, existential anxiety. I'm like, this is it. We work for corporate America. Consumerism's mm-hmm. evil and, and, and all that stuff. Uh, you know, you see Fight Club, you've got The Matrix, you've got Dark City, like a lot Office of space. Mm, yeah, Office space, space goes yeah. on. A lot of a lot of movies sort of uh, kind of about this like pent up like what what's next? And then yeah. of course 2001, Y2K, dot com boom, 9-11. and then the the whole the way like I think the sort of the 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 narrative and the zeitgeist fundamentally starts changing after after that time frame. Yeah, so absolutely. now, Caleb, I, I'm curious about something. Is there anything about this viewing for you that really stood out to you? You know, we're kind of talking right now about the things that were going on in, in the world when this movie comes out, the the things currently that, that are sort of in our culture, that our cultural consciousness or things we think about when we think about the matrix. Was there anything watching on, on this view that for either of you, that was like, that was the thing that you keyed in on at all. In this, in this specific viewing, I, th- I think the thing that I really keyed in on was just how cl- much closer we are to this sort of reality. I mean, Zuckerberg's over here talking about meta, mm-hmm. which just feels yeah. like another step closer. And I, I, I'm not, you know, I don't know if we're going to head into a, a dystopian future like this, but I think the thing that really sticks out to me is how, you know, I don't think the matrix is responsible for where we're at as a culture per se, but I do think it's certainly influenced the way technology has developed and the way we think about technology. Mm. Uh, and again, not responsible for it anyway, but more like influenced sort of the way we think about these things. And it it certainly feels like one of those self-fulfilling prophecies of like, this is the future. So we then build that future. That's kind of feels like the direction we're heading in. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty big one for me. I don't know. Daniel, anything that stuck out to you? Oh, Rob Zombie's Dragula yeah, has a baby. Also appreciated <laughs> in time. I wanted to say conquering that. Conquering the worm. Exactly. Burning through the, digging through, tra- I don't know what, how it goes, but it's fine. Yeah. It's, um, I it, it's, 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 what, it's, it's weird that that moment hasn't aged poorly. It, it actually just kicks ass. Exactly. <laughs> <Which is like laughs> no, truly timeless. Um, yeah, I, I, I would concur with everything that Caleb said and, I would also say, I mean, yeah, it, it has entered the zeitgeist. The matrix is permanently a part of us. Sure. Um, and I don't think we're going to shed that anytime soon. Um, in fact, I think it will just continue to grow more influential um, with time. Last thing I would say, Dalton, because I want to hear what your take is. But uh, sure. honestly, how much I, what stuck out to me is how much this film informed before I even realized it, how much it shaped my thinking as a teenager about things like corporate America uh, uh, like yeah. the Secret Service, 
you know, I, I was not certainly not privy to those themes, but as I see it play out as an adult, I'm like, oh yeah, this movie's talking about this thing that I, you know, I'm, I've headed this a certain direction in my line of thought and the way I look at the world. And this movie was certainly talking about a lot of those same things. Sure. So that, uh, how about you? You know, I really was just sort of letting myself get swept up in the filmmaking on this mm-hmm. go, you know, looking at the ways in which, you know, you can see the, the sort of comic book storyboard thing they presented to Warner Brothers. And it's, I don't know, do you guys know about this aspect of the production? Yes. Okay, yeah, I figured don't. you did. Uh, so one of the, th- when they were trying to get more money, one of the things mm-hmm. they did was they have a story, had a storyboarder just like basically do the entire uh, screenplay as a comic book ahead of time. Uh, and yeah, you can see it like in that, that moment where in the opening where Smith is framed against the fire escape as, as Trinity's getting to the rooftop, right? There's all these like, so just like really like clear, uh, shots that are just like so well-defined uh, and the entire sequence of like uh, Neo waking up to like getting pulled up by the Nebuchadnezzar that whole like wake up in, in the real is such a, a wild thing to put your eyes on uh, yeah I, I just it's it's so great to look at every time I watch it I, I get to kind of fall in love with the filmmaking all over again but that that was for me I, I sort of unplugged from trying to like really go hard analytical on the first one anyway, uh, on this rewatch, because I, again, I think so much of the, the deeper themes of this franchise are, are really teased out in the sequels anyway. That so for the, this watch, yeah, I just really enjoyed like, wow, what a, what a piece of filmmaking, what, a, what wonderful choreography, right? Like I just really sort of did fall in love with it all over again, if that makes sense. No, I, I think that's spot on. And that's the thing about just a great film is it's rewarding every time you rewatch, you know, there's things you didn't. And if nothing else, you can appreciate the craft that went into it. Yeah. That, and we're going to get into this a little more th- when talking about the sequels. But I'll say the other thing is just this movie never. Firstly, this movie based probably shouldn't have been made when it got made. Like the studio. It's great that it happened. It's incredible yeah. that it happened. It would, this movie would never in a million years get made today. If someone showed up and said, Hey, we need, you know, $65 million, probably the equivalent of more like 150, $180 million to make this original sci-fi film. It's so rarely happens. How lucky. Yeah. And I, I'm coming off the tail end of, uh, after watching Dune, I, uh, dove into a documentary. I did not know about Jodorowsky's Dune. Yeah. About another yeah. film. That yeah. I, nice. would, I still Incredibly would love to ambitious and seemed like very clear. Like it, there is a very clear image of what it's going to be, but but a little too wild for studios to too big, too big, <laughs> too great, too awesome. We we can't have too much fun. But uh, I'm so glad that at least somebody <laughs> thought the Matrix was worth investing in. Joel Silver really, yeah, really helped champion this movie, helped get it made. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he believed in uh, what the Wachowskis wanted to do. Uh, and hell yeah, I'm glad it happened. Yeah, I'm so glad it happened. So with that said, I, I think the consensus is pretty clear here, but mm-hmm. we'll just, uh, to make it a little more final, do we think this film still deserves its reputation in the pantheon of influential science fiction films? I mean, Daniel, you laid it down a little bit earlier, right? You, yeah. you think it's one of the... Science, science fiction films that we've ever made as as, as a country or as a nation of yeah, well, culture, I should Let's clarify. think, exactly, yeah, and what let's think about what's in our pantheon. I will throw 2001 A Space Odyssey in there. I, I would loop in the, the, the Star Wars films, Alien, which I think has a lot of parallels to this film, at least in terms of, of setting. Um, yeah, no, it, 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 I'll just say, I think it's worth reiterating. This is one of the most important science fiction films ever made. Maybe it, I think it could be argued maybe one of them, like the yeah. most important one. I don't know. I, I, I don't like to hear films it's, like that. Yeah, but, but it's, it's mass appeal. I yeah, think I, I, it does just, push it over the line. Like, right. I think it's up there with, with Stalker, which is much thinkier, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that mass appeal aspect of it might, 
yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, really put it up there. But uh, yeah, I mean, Blade Runner, whatever, whatever you want to throw That's up the there thing. against it's it, like, it's like, yeah, it it just rules. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's in that it. conversation right alongside the rest of those. And, and I also think you mentioned the Mass Appeal, another film that came out about a year before. This is Dark City, which is another incredible science fiction film tackling similar themes from a very different approach. A movie that I love, yeah. but. People, I mean, yeah, it just kind of went and came and went, came and went like, like diehard film fans know it, but it doesn't have the popularity. Yeah. Like people aren't going to be talking about I need it. To revisit that. Is it, does it hold up? Uh, mostly. I Not saw yet. it for the first time relatively recently. And I, um, you know, I definitely enjoyed it, but it doesn't, it doesn't fire on all cylinders. I think quite so much, at least as, as the matrix does, which is why we're talking about the matrix and not, <laughs> Last thing I'll say uh, is I think this film is it's it's innovative. The special effects it, it it brings in this unique marriage of anime, Western religion, popcorn action movies, all of it into just an incredible film that it is layered enough to really drive repeat viewings, but still accessible enough to be fun to watch every time. So yeah, this is definitely a top tier. Also, uh, you know, coming off the heels of a, the ca- canceled, uh, tragically cowboy bebop, it's a similar thing that we've seen with video game films, which I guess you could argue the matrix is a part of this as well, but you, you know, it's almost impossible to adapt an anime I'm convinced like if you were to do a live action anime, I don't want to say for well, sure. I've got this little film called Speed Racer that I can show you that these, <laughs> oh, these crazy siblings okay. made. All right. These body Caleb's. I didn't say Damn. I didn't want to say quite impossible, but I'm, I was <laughs> Speed Racer is pretty good. Well, like if Dalton doesn't say it, I will. But Thank good, good. I'm, <laughs> Thank I'm glad I'm in good so. company. <laughs> but I'm saying the nine out of ten. You are right. Yeah, it's live action adaptations sure. because it's, yeah. it's hard to capture what made the anime special and adapt that to film in a way that doesn't feel just straight up super derivative of the yeah, thing you're adapting, sure, right? Sure. And so I like it when directors like the Wachowskis here are able to extrapolate that and apply it to a totally new story. That way it, it feels fresh. And I think this is, I think this is one of the great anime live action adaptations. I mean, it's original, but also I get what you're saying. it's Absolutely. got the style. It's got yeah. all the style, all, all the things, especially when we get to the sequels. Holy cow. Uh, and I love it. All right. Letter grade for the Matrix. I mean, A plus all around. Are we saying? Yeah, five stars. Yeah, come on. I was gonna try and. You're gonna do... bring us down, Daniel. No. Well, okay. I was. I really wanted to just say A minus because I'm like, oh, I don't know if it worked for everything, but your enthusiasm has rubbed off on me. And thinking about it more, at least an A to an A plus. I'll, I'll say it A. I'll stay at A. I'll be the. I'll be the negative Nancy. I'll say A. <laughs> negative negative Nancy. Uh, I will. I will give it an A. I it's mean, look, for there's me things you can dive in there and be like, yeah. "Well, this person should probably have more screen time." Right? Like, yeah, there's but plenty you could do. But I a, get what you're saying. An A for me is still, again, I am still standing behind most important science fiction film of all time. One of them, again, still there. So I'll, I'll say A. It's hard for me to pinpoint. I, I there is a very few films that I would would give an A plus, but but this one is definitely pushing that. And who knows? Ask me again in 20 minutes. Maybe I'll change my mind. <laughs> Whoa. <I know. laughs> yeah, and, the, and there you have it. And there you have it. All right, fellas. Uh, anything else either of you would like to mention about the 1999 The Matrix before we move on? Uh, if this is where your journey stops, at least check out the Animatrix. You know, it's not very long. You know, if, if you're not into the sequels, that's fine. Go ahead and go on with your life. But you should check out the Animatrix because I think that that alone is like just a really cool supplemental 
uh, yeah. it's it's nice. I, I I like to watch it after I watch the uh, the first movie sometimes, um, or or within a day or two. I, I I watch it closer to watching the first movie than watching the second movie usually, if that makes sense. No, it, it I think it definitely fits in better between one and two than two and three for yeah. certain, or after two and three because I mean, uh, I mean we'll get into it, but the kid has a whole storyline. Yeah, find out it's the, just just the go enjoy it. Story. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. The Animatrix is a great watch. I uh, just rewatched them a few months ago. Yeah. They really still pull up. I, I did all my homework, Caleb. I even watched the MTV Movie Awards Matrix Reloaded spoof. Yeah. Did you did you play the Matrix online, Dalton? No, I did, didn't. I've never bring it back from this, the dead. I know. I did not. I did not uh, find a way to get those servers uh, back to life. <laughs> Wasn't there a SpongeBob SquarePants Matrix something? Maybe I'm just thinking of like a small like piece of an advert where it's spongebob kind of dressed like neo i wish i could give you something no i want to believe i want to bet maybe i'm making this up maybe this is a mental maybe yeah this might be a fever dream you had either way i'm into it yeah no i know what you're talking about daniel you're thinking spongebob what it actually is is space jam the new legacy where they have that scene for the matrix (laughs) sure sure that's that was (laughs) where granny uh plays uh the role of trinity yeah (laughs) it's i i I am ashamed to say i've seen that scene more than one time but uh (laughs) there you have it i want to add one thing um, so we're not talking about it. just to, not to not to not to delay us too much, but um, I will say lend your ears or your eyes or whatever you use to consume media. I don't want to exclude the cephalopods that may inherit the earth eventually. Um, you know, give give the the influences a gander too. I know we're talking a little bit about the anime, but but I would say read William Gibson's Neuromancer or Blazing Chrome. Even it's a little bit shorter and kind of covers the same breath. Uh, also, um, oh Heron, Harlan Ellison's I Have No Mouth. And I must scream or play the point and click adventure game that's uh, available on Steam now and, and works with modern computers. That's another uh, piece of uh, something literature, I guess, but but also a video game that 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 definitely I would say influenced the Matrix. But it's almost like this kind of reciprocal, you know, there gets mm-hmm. a point where things start to influence each other. I think the more, sure. more they go on. So I don't know. Just want to stress that. I mean, you could also go watch Ghost in a Shell. And in fact, I'll do you a solid. You should go watch it, and then you can listen to me and Dalton in another podcast talking about Ghost in a Shell from, oh, from years yeah. ago. Which one? Wait, not the original, the original okay, anime, okay. not right, the live right, action. All right, all right. Never seen it. No, uh, maybe someday. Who knows? I, I, I like watching stuff, even when it's bad. No, nah, yeah. It has a lot of cool people in it. I'm, I'm obsessed with watching things when they're bad sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. I watch hey, The Room is nearly. It, <laughs> there you have it. Is it, is it time? It is time. Is it time for us to really expand our minds? We are really expanding our minds. We're going to walk into the white room and an old grumpy man is going to lecture us and it's only going to borderline make sense some of the time. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are stepping into our conversation covering The Matrix Reloaded. Concordantly. Here we go. Are you fellas? It's him. Do we proceed? Yes. He is still only human. All of our lives, we have fought this war. Tonight, I believe we can end it. That's a nice trick. Upgrade. Mr. Anderson. Surprised to see me? Somehow he's found a way to copy himself. Now there's more than one of them. A lot more. Gentlemen, little did you know, we've already had this conversation six times. Ah! Mm-hmm. Your predecessors didn't make it to the end. We'll see. 
so according to the IMDb synopsis, The Matrix Reloaded is described as freedom fighters, Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus continue to lead the revolt against the machine army, unleashing their arsenal of extraordinary skills and weaponry against the systemic, the systematic forces of repression and exploitation. And it was released on May 15th, 2003. A couple of fun facts about this film. Well, firstly, I was like hitting the box office stuff. Globally, it grossed $739 million against a budget of $150 million, which again, back in 2003 was nothing to sneeze at. Pretty successful. It is filmed back to back with The Matrix Revolutions. So it is a two-parter, which we've seen done a few times since then. Before and since, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like this is one of the first really big studio that really pumped it up. And Back, back to the Future had done it before. Pirates of the Caribbean did it after. There's been... Lord of the Rings is kind of doing it contemporarily. Yep. I, I guess you get your, your Avengers three and four. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even if they're, I, was it? No, I guess those were pretty much back to back. They right? did. They did film yeah. back to back. Cause I remember their shooting schedule was something like 200 some odd days or something Jeez. like that. Yeah. Uh, the final hunger games film, I think like that, wasn't that a two parter? Yeah. Was that, was that a trilogy or was it? A, uh, it was I don't two-parter. know that those were back to back production though. I don't, I don't know if they like were doing it at the same time or not. Yeah. I don't no. know. I can't tell you. I, I know no, I Harry know. Potter. Uh, that's not one. I know. Yeah, no, no, no. They took, they took, they took breaks. The only one oh, I think yeah, they yeah, might've okay. done that on was the last one. The, the definitely Hallows part one and two. Maybe. Oh no. I thought that was, well, maybe that one's, I thought that was a break as well. Maybe, Mm. maybe. We need to check. Who knows? Anyway, there's no way to know, Caleb. We couldn't possibly find out this information. (laughs) We don't have the internet. We don't have (laughs) smartphones. All right, so let's just get the (laughs) elephant out of the room, gentlemen. The sequels were certainly not very well regarded when released in 2003, because I think the one thing that does make these unique is that they released both the films in the same year, one in May, Wild stuff. one in November, which sounds cool in theory, oh. but in retrospect, I was like, oh, what a grave miscalculation, which, as we'll get to later, the box office showed that it was a grave miscalculation. Uh, you know, I, I guess uh, let's we're gonna, we're going to break these down individually because I while it is have a very part one part two vibe to them I actually think they're both very unique from one another yeah. and uh, one of them I prefer greatly to the other so uh, what did you think about the Matrix Reloaded on this rewatch Dalton Stewart we'll start with you you know I th- I think you're right I think they really do operate better as a as a whole uh, as a unit you know it's it's not without its flaws I I think I do come around on Reloaded more and more every time I watch it. Uh, um, I, you know, I, I can't help but wonder if they couldn't have found a different cliffhanger and I'm sure we'll talk about the specifics of that cliffhanger in a little bit, but it does kind of feel like you're like, oh, it's really, is this what we're, I mean, I've watched it enough times that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm bought in or whatever, but it, it really is a movie that you kind of have to give yourself over to. And if you were resisting reloading at all, it, it will absolutely give you something to get, roll your eyes at. Um, but I, I, I like, I, I, I really do have a soft spot for this movie. I think there's a lot to enjoy about it. I think it's the most Kung fu of the three movies. It's got the most fights. It's got the most like people talking about big ideas and very big grandiose and like direct and specific ways. Um, I, you know, it, 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 it echoes the first one in that regard in that most of the dialogue scenes are lengthy monologues, which I, I like about both of the first two movies. I, I really do. I think there's something kind of enjoyable about that way of structuring the film. But yeah, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like the burly brawl doesn't look bad at parts. Uh, even, even when they can do it practically, there's, there's moments of that fight scene that kind of make you go, Oh, like, Ooh, this is not keeping up with the, the, the technology and, and choreography are not keeping up the vision of this specific moment or whatever. Right. So there's quibbles, but yeah, I, I think I, I do appreciate it more and more each each viewing for sure. Yeah, and I, parlaying off adult night, I, I try to 
be a little easy on it because I'm like, yeah, in hindsight, it's like they could have like there's a lot of parts, especially of that 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 multi man uh, Smith fight. They could have. Yeah, thank you for the Burly Brawl is I guess what they called it for the production when they because is it, it called the several, Burly Brawl? Yeah, that's, I it like took that several name. days to make, and that's yeah. what they called it. Yeah, but that's it is fun seeing the behind the it is fun seeing the behind the scenes because you definitely yeah. while, while they certainly used lots of CG, which is very very a evident, lot of body uh, doubles. There's so many body doubles. Really? Yeah. I I mean I. I try to be a little easy on it just because it's like, I know like this is the thing they, they, they had the technology and they wanted to just like push it, I guess, as hard as they, they could. wanted to do practical bullet time in that scene. And they, eventually the visual, they couldn't, the visual effects supervisor eventually said like, it's not possible. Okay. It cannot be done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is I, um, I, there are sequences when they're like fighting with the, when, when it, it's like it, the switch flips with me when Neo gets the, and I guess that's when that, the, the, the most CGI starts to uh, yeah. file in is when he grabs the pole arm. That mm-hmm. is a, I can't remember what it's out of. Yeah. When he starts, when, when he, the concrete, he yeah. starts, uh, Oh, it's the, uh, the tether ball pole. I think. That yeah. That's it. Maybe that's it. something like yeah. that. But anyway, he runs on there. He starts running on them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it even um, before that, the choreography is still like struggling to make. It does a pretty good job of making sure there's not just a Smith waiting in the background. Like they do a pretty good job of making people come at him constantly. But it it, it does kind of. And and it is moderately comedic when they start piling on him. Deliberately. So I think. Yeah. 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 Yeah, There's a bowling ball sound effect at one point. Right. There's domino (laughs) sound effects like in the sound mix. It is supposed to be kind of wacky. That's the thing. And it does kind of like knowing like i guess approaching it now um because when i was younger it did distract me a little bit more now i, I think it's a little more endearing the matrix reloaded as a whole well we see other movies do it better right like the compositing as far as like getting the cgi in a live environment looks a little bit cleaner and the things that are wholly computer like where as caleb you mentioned earlier like our eyes are used to seeing this now yes. right this movie fell on its face so other movies could run exactly a bit. yeah good yeah. point uh, so I think I think yeah we might be more forgiving in, in hindsight. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I will say just on the note of whether or not it it is, but I I do feel better about it now when I'm watching it. It still does the the thing with science fiction, and there are thematic um, qualms I have with it that we'll we'll get into. But the I think with it pulls the curtain back a little too far for me. I, I kind of like when science fiction just leaves and, and a lot of things, even I would say like even horror and even fantasy when they, they just leave things up to your imagination when they don't try to kind of explain everything. This film really does like the explanation and it, and, and it does it with good cause. It's not like it's doing it to not try and say something or make a comment. I just feel like maybe they get a little um, to quote Gucci Mane lost in the sauce a little bit. They, they, they want to say something very strong, but and poignant. But I think in doing so, they might somewhat remove their own movie magic a little bit. I don't know. Kind of like pull it out. I, I don't know. I, I think I get what I, you're saying. Yeah. I, I, I hear what you're like, saying. I would politely, and I don't think there's a right or wrong. This is, this is me going to come in really hard. To defend. I'm not even going to defend this movie. I'm just going to say I unabashedly love this movie. I mean, <laughs> they built a damn highway. <laughs> they built a highway. I mean, the okay. highway sequence. First of all, Alzheimer. I need to say that, sequence which is a lot longer than i remembered it's like 35 to 40 minutes and it does it's it make, incredible it's awesome no it is incredible i i need there there's only one my only reservation about it i think is like again it's just them like leaning a little too much into their their cg when 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 neo flies in and 
grabs Morpheus in the in the key maker and he does a couple spins. Love it. I love it. I love uh, it. It's a, I don't it's a, know. They it's like, why do they have to do that? But they find a way to sideline him. It's look, I, I appreciate I the writing of like what's yeah. going on there, right? They have to find a way to get him out and to get more vulnerable people in, which yeah. immediately makes mm-hmm. the stakes so much higher. Yeah. Look, yeah, I wanted to hold the movie at arm's length. Caleb, no, yeah, I, I, you've I, immediately I, got me ready I, to jump, I'm jump in the, there with you. I'm coming out the door because, Daniel, the pushback I'll have That's is fine. while they certainly, they do quote unquote over explain, the explanation is so mind blowing that even after hearing it five times, I'm like, that's badass. They just, the, the monologue at the end, they spend, he basically spends like 10 minutes telling you everything that we thought we believed yep. up until that point is a total lie. It's just another system of control. Well, and, and much it, like the first movie, like, right, the first movie's got this, it goes from the Oracle to the end of the movie and it's just breathless. And this similarly has like, they meet the key maker, get on this road chase. And then from there, it's just like a dead sprint to this monologue where it goes, surprise, a different kind of movie. Why am I here? Your life is the sum of a remainder of an unbalanced equation inherent to the programming of the Matrix. You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. While it remains a burden assiduously avoided, it is not unexpected and thus not beyond a measure of control, which has led you inexorably... Here. You haven't answered my question. Quite right. Interesting. That was quicker than the others. Others? How many? Answer my question. The Matrix is older than you know. I prefer counting from the emergence of one integral anomaly to the emergence of the next, in which case this is the sixth version. Five ones before me. There are only two possible explanations. There were five ones before me. Either no one told me. Where no one knows. Precisely. I really do not like the idea of Zion as it's presented in this film. Oh, well, no, that's why this one's better than the next one. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. disagree. Oh, no, dude. Yeah, what is it? I Zion feel like... Defender has no, logged on. No. <laughs> Fuck cave raves. I hate. No, I don't hate them. I thought the cave rave cool. rules. No, that's the thing is like, I guess this is this is the see, this is the real big time like Wachowski head speaking, though. Right. Like, I, I do mean, you I not like think, sensei. Okay. So I, no, and I, 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 sensei I, is good. Sensei's good. I, I'm there for as weird as they like. Again, I, I will totally. I just think okay. there's something that's lost. Okay. I think in the first film, it has a bit of an intimacy. You have the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar and it's like we're on the verge of extinction. And you kind of get this idea that there's not very many people. Daniel, left. are you telling me a rave? party isn't intimate no but when there's 10 yes if there's like 20 people sure have all the cave raves you want when there's like 10,000 humans suddenly i just think the machines are kind of dumb i think that maybe they're not and that's the point maybe they're not much that much different than humans but like i just i i don't that is the point I, it is I the think. point. Yeah, it is. I just, <laughs> I would say the the. I mean, you're still allowed to be aggravated. No, yeah, it's okay. I, I yeah. come down more forgiving of the Zion stuff in this film because I like the rest of it so much, and it I didn't I wasn't actively annoyed by it. Whereas the third film, which I, I think I, the counselor scene is huge, right? I, I love the that Zion scene. stuff. Like, I like the yeah. polit- I like the politicking that's going on, and I because it allows the it allows them to present different POVs because so far we've got uh, from the first film, you, you have Morpheus and Neo Morpheus is the believer. He believes the prophecy. So they come in and say, well, well, here's the thing. It's a prophecy, 
but a lot of these people don't believe it. They yeah, live yeah, in a different having world. Having Harry Lennox as as yeah. Locke is is it's so fun to have a character in there who's like, no, I don't believe this. This is dumb. I I've got a city to defend. But then there's like ten thousand people cheering Morpheus, so I don't know. I kind of think that a lot of people do believe him. Like, well, right, how like, often does uh, the the long arm of civil governance not do what people want it to do you true. know what i mean yeah, like there are popular figures who have no political pull mm-hmm. yeah that's well, true I and mean, also neo's walk with uh one of the members of the council i can't remember his name escapes me but uh, can't, oh, it starts with an h yeah, yeah. or no hammond hammond um, it's not yeah. and they, they lay out and sort of common you know and, and it's easy to miss if you're not paying attention especially the first time obviously but they lay out sort of the the thesis which is the it's not about humans are better than machines. It's the coexistence piece. He kind of laid out, they have a nice conversation that I totally, he, yeah, something to the effect of like what makes these machines different that we can destroy them. Is that, is it control? Is that really all it comes down to? And yeah. it sort of does like really start to insert the questions that I think three really teases out even deeper. And, and that is again, that is a philosophical inquiry that did stick with me. Yeah, see, there you have it. There are some, but like, I, I but no, you're, yeah, yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying. No. For, for everything that I can say, yeah, I know Dalton's that enthusiasm is infectious. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, <laughs> quit, quit <laughs> making me <laughs> like this movie more. <laughs> Listen, Daniel, I, I'm, I, I'm not done gushing on this movie, but I want you to say your piece. So, so. No, it's, I'm pretty much. It, it. Well, I'll, I'll go, okay, I'll jump in with some of my quibbles then. Okay. To make, I think the Smith and Merovingian <laughs> stuff is not well balanced right I, I, like there's there's a balance issue that's just like not quite right yeah like, i don't know quite because i think the third movie gives you just the right amount of both of them almost. yeah yeah uh so that that's one of my quibbles like the merovingian is like interesting as a concept right this character who's like it's it's all power it's all cause and effect baby this character from secession just shows up and is like <laughs> fuck your dance party <laughs> I'm I'm here to make make deals, baby. Well, and I also love, uh, and this is not necessarily on the surface of the film, but I'm a dork and I love the mythology. So I love that the Merovingians actually like a leftover from one of the really early versions of the Matrix. That's the thing. What we're talking about, Underworld. They're apparently they're werewolves. There was a werewolf Matrix. Exactly. Uh, Seraph is implied to be an angel in three. They call him wingless. Yeah. There's all kinds of like really wacky shit on the margins of these two movies. It's incredible. I I love it. Uh, The Merovingians. Though, the, the, yes, I hear what you're saying about the balance. I love the performance. I love the character. Uh, I love the man. The action sequences are great because not only the highway sequence is the best; it's incredible. The but fight how can the we forget, exactly the chateau fight? That's incredible. Yeah. I also regularly on the DL it's got Tiger Chin, mm. star of Man of Tai Chi, Keanu Reeves' directorial debut, uh, to date only directorial work. Yeah, that really that's it. He doesn't know. He's just got the one, but yeah, the star of that movie is in the Chateau fight. Yeah, that's fun stuff. Why, why make I love the score that plays, I mean, throughout the film, but that score in the Chateau fight's my favorite. I, I, I just turn it on sometimes when I'm gonna get amped up. I love it's there's some real like art movies cool moments in this movie. Like, no matter and again, I'm I am with anybody who thinks this movie's dumb. I get it. I get why this movie was like kind of weirdly received. I, I should I should have done more research on like the 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 difference in reception between two and three, both like commercially and critically. Two was still received critically and financially much more than three was. Really yeah. interesting. I knew I knew financially it was more successful. I wasn't sure like critically. I wish I wish I knew could think more like what the the talking points were. I only knew like a handful of people who were in the matrix uh, at that point in my life. So like, I I wish I could kind of go back and gauge, talk to people a little bit more. Well, here's the thing. I think that people, 
and I don't know this, my hypothesis is, if I could go back and do it, is I think, I bet a lot of people probably enjoyed two enough and were excited by the promise of three. And then the third one showed up and they were very not happy with three, which retroactively like made them like two mm. less. That's my hypothesis. I don't know. I that. like, I like where your head's at though. I think yeah. that's appropriate. Yeah, no, I, that totally makes sense to me. Um, so you know, I, I guess I could gush about it. It, 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 it. Here's the thing. Dalton, to your point, I love this movie unabashedly, but also at, at the same time, this movie is wildly ambitious in a way that I just think pe- most people don't really want from their matrix sequels. Uh, it's yeah. goofy. It's silly. And, and, and to your point, it, it is the first one on steroids where you have major action set pieces or you have monologuing at you. Mm-hmm. I personally am super into that, but I, I can see how it'd be a huge turnoff for it's, a lot of viewers. It's almost the one that says, okay, here's more matrix. Here's, here's all of the things you liked, but even more of it a little bit. And I think, yeah, for better or worse, sometimes, um, I think that the end of it is so transgressive though. I know you want to talk about that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, firstly, the last thing I just want to note on here and, and just want to throw this out, kind of looking at how the matrix reloaded is a sequel. Mm-hmm. It's just so different from how sequels are today mm-hmm. because this movie, you, you know, takes really massive swings. I, I think about like how the dark Knight sort of took a, a similar sort of swing, but like rarely we're on such a, we're in such a, a phase of like, you know, blockbuster filmmaking where it is setting up another movie, but it's just it's still contained. It feels it's a to be concluded. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like it definitely does not feel like a episode two of a ongoing narrative. It feels like the middle of a, a closed loop a little bit as much as I am excited for the new movie. It does. Yeah. It feels like it's teeing up one specific conclusion. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. It's more structured. It feels like the middle chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, this is just me ranting about how I don't No, I think that's a fair <laughs> point, especially the, you know, the stuff with the, the architect, which we've alluded to a lot, but not talked about specifically, right. This moment that says, no, this has been happening again and again. This isn't some like, this isn't a hero's journey. You're, you're just, a, this is another form of control. This is going great. The system works for us and we're just going to keep doing this as long as we can. Uh, But the problem is choice, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Which leads us to sort of the thing that makes Neo unique, which is the love for Trinity. So his, his love is less specific. He looks at himself. I mean, he still see, he he looks himself less as a savior. And we even see that early in the film when people are dropping and delivering food, he's almost just like, he says, I don't know a lot Mm -hmm. in this movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's, uh, he's a, an, an unsure Messiah. But he's more focused on his love for, for Trinity. So it's a very specific, which, you know, the, the character like. So, so so he chooses to risk the fate of humanity on his love for Trinity, uh, which, again, we'll get to in the third movie. I, you could even say he says no, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a different choice. You're telling me I can either everybody can die or I can save her and then everybody will. You can win or I can save her and then everybody dies. He says, no, I'm going to do something different. Actually, I, I reject that option. I take a third choice. I'm going to fig- I'm going to I'm going to figure it out after I I make the choice. I'm going to go do my own thing and then I'll come back to negotiate in part <laughs> <Right>. three. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that lead does lead us to the cliffhanger, though. So, yeah. uh, of course, there are a couple of major things. One thing is, uh, of course, you know, the, the monologue from the architect. The second thing is right before the final scene, we see that Neo can use his one powers or some form of power. He's more connected to the source now. To the source now. Exactly. Yes. Uh, then before, so he's stops the, the road, you know, the machines that are attacking him. Uh, and that's pretty big. And then thirdly, we, we haven't even talked about how Smith has, has broken out of the matrix into the real world. It's part of the weakness of the cliffhanger, right? Like yes. it's not a moment that we get much time with, but yeah, Smith like gets a guy right as he's 
getting called out of the matrix. And it, it sort of is a moment that like, unless you were paying really close attention to this guy who kind of looks and kind of sounds like Hugo weaving, it is sort of easy to miss and make you go, okay, this other guy's in a coma too. Why do I care? Like if you've forgotten who that character is, it's a cliffhanger that means nothing. And it is, I think one of the, the, the biggest weakness to me is it feels like one story and it's unclear where to put the intermission. Yes. Because there's some stuff in the, well, we'll talk here in just a moment about the opening of three of this train station. I think that is, I don't know that that's the spot where we were supposed to stop it. You know, I don't know if that's a better place to put the cliffhanger, yeah. but that stuff is really strong. I feel like and it, it is, it's, it's just a weird, there's a beat that feels off somewhere yeah. between the end of this movie and the beginning of the next one. No, as no. much as I watch these movies, I can't quite articulate what it is. Yeah, no, but I, I get what you're saying. And I agree with that. I think, and I don't like to like fantasy yeah, produce, I, but that's my number one rule as somebody who talks about movies is, yeah, I try not to like armchair produce, yeah, rewrite the movie. Yeah, yeah that's the that thing. Shit. I do think, I just personally, I think it would have been a little more poignant Maybe if it just ended at the architects and him, maybe not even seeing what the results of his choice is him leaving, you know, and that's it. And then maybe I think that would have given maybe would have given revelations a little bit more power, but I don't know. You know, I don't know. That's not what it is. And I still think like paying attention to it this time, I still felt like the cliffhanger was serviceable, right. you know, but yeah, it didn't like, I could I could see a lot of people like not I, I, again, especially. Yeah, because I didn't realize it to, um, you know, it's it's a, it's very convenient to be able to just like rewind and kind of see some things. And I do think maybe it, it, I felt like that that cliffhanger was positioned a little bit better. But like if you don't pay it because there's really only like two yeah, instances where it like, yeah, basically kind of gets clear. There is one near relatively the middle of the movie where it's sort like, of an insert scene of him self-harming. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. sort of so, remind you. So that yeah. leads me to, I think maybe my criticism with the cliffhanger actually ties into the, I don't feel like the third movie paid that off as well as I would have liked. So mm-hmm. therefore I feel less strongly, like less positively about the Bane character because it doesn't really feel, feel i mean we'll get to it obviously he does things that there, are yeah there are plot things that happen uh, sure but the movie certainly makes it feel like a much bigger deal than i f- it actually ends up being ends up yeah. being you know you're, that's it, fair. Like, you know and, and that's i think that's the bigger thing where they they set it up and reloaded and in Revol- uh, revolutions you know it pays off sort of but like the movie ends on a cliffhanger so you're like wow what does this mean it doesn't really mean anything he's just in the real world i mean <laughs> He's in the real world, but we are, but we already knew that. That's a thing. That's what I mean. Yeah. It sure. was like, it was clear that that was already happening. So it's harder to like, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Falls a little flat. But. So anyway, I just, it is abrupt. I don't think it breaks the movie, but I think that is where you see like, okay, why well, I, I sure hope the third one can pay this off really well. And we're going to get to that in a second. The last thing I'll say though, mm. another bold choice. And this was something that had been done with uh, back to the future. They played a promo for the next movie after the credits. So if you stuck around through the credits, you saw a trailer for the Matrix Revolution. A little, little early stinger teasing the next movie action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a really direct direct way, because I think it was like a one or so. It was at least a minute long. So it was, it was pretty considerable. I don't know. It sounds cool. But here's the thing. Dalton, you were asking about the reception earlier. Mm. So I pull up the Rotten Tomato score. The Matrix Reloaded. 73% on Rotten Tomatoes okay. uh, with an audience score of 72%. Again, Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. very imperfect way to measure, but just a measurement. A good way to get a bearing mm-hmm. of, of some kind, yeah. 
Revolutions has a 35% a Rotten Tomato score from critics and 60% from Disagree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Disagree. I, I think they're a little hard. And I, I have problem, qualms with the third one, but I feel like it's a little harsh. And then on the box office side, this is the part that I found really uh, shocking. You would think, oh, same year, cliffhanger. Oh, my gosh. Can't wait to get back to the theater. Well, actually, the Matrix Revolutions only grossed $427 million. So almost $300 million less wow, that's than wild. The Matrix Reloaded. I have a couple of theories. About, it's six again, months apart. Yeah. It's exactly. hard to drum up more excitement that close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is kind of A lot hard. of people only go to the movies a couple times a year. Yeah, that's the thing. Although it is kind of like hard for me to, as much as, as lukewarm as I am on Matrix Reloaded, I, I, it would be very hard for me to not like... How do you to not? See yeah, you gotta it, go see that. Ending. No, yeah, I'd still go see the. Well, ending, but we're a bunch of idiots who are gathered around true. microphones we're, talking about movies. <laughs> yeah, maybe so there, the, you have, there you have it. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I have this hypothesis. Uh, stick with me. Okay. I prefer watching television weekly over binging. Why? It's an appointment viewing. I prioritize it. I have a week in between episodes to really like soak it in and theorize and, sure. and amp it up. You think there wasn't enough time to get hyped up for a third movie? I think people scratched the itch and weren't hungry for more yet. I think right if, they, if they if they drawn out the marketing a little longer or taken a break. You know what's great about The Matrix Resurrections? We'll get to later. There was I was literally for months. I was like, is this movie still coming? I was genuinely like, is this movie going to make it out this year? There's not a poster. There's not a title. No, they really the waited fall. late they... to start advertising this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they were like, get excited all at once, y'all. Exactly. Like, totally, like, what, two months maybe, I, I feel like? That I seems to be the more common way to market a movie these days. I feel like more and more often the 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 hype machine is a little bit shorter, mm-hmm. which is good, honestly. Yeah. There's too many yeah. movies. There's too many big movies. And I, and also the pandemic did make things a little more complicated. So it's sure, certainly not an sure. apples to apples. Was but this a... I, I, I know we're jumping way ahead. We've got a whole other movie to talk about. Was uh, Matrix for a COVID delay? Was it supposed to come yeah, out? Yeah, it started 2020? in so, February 2020, right? Like, so I know was it, was, it a delay? I don't think it was a delay because I don't think they actually put the release date out gotcha, until production delay. Yeah, yeah, right. But it was that they started yeah. filming. Yes, they started filming uh, pre-COVID and then it, things shut down for a little while and they, they were off like three or four months. In fact, in fact, fun story, total side tangent. Uh, apparently Lana Wachowski almost decided to not come back to finish the movie. <gasps> yeah. yeah. She, said, she said this in an interview I read uh, last week. I want to say it was entertainment. What she, what she, what was her reason? She was like, I, I she was like, I don't know. Not it was COVID. It was a weird time. She was yeah, basically like, I'm not, it, yeah. she was like, I don't know if I should finish <laughs> this movie. And then all the actors and the the crew and Warner Brothers were like, uh, no, we, we really need to finish the movie. It was a bad question. Um, Explain to me why you're not excited uh, to make a film yeah. in a pandemic. But I would say, though, I think I want to say yeah. it started filming in either January or February of 2020. So I would say, it, you know, I would say it had much time at all to really get mm-hmm, going. Mm-hmm. Productions are short these days. It seems. Do like we have any movies. final thoughts on Reloaded before moving on to Revolutions? Um, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in Revolutions, but I'm excited to kind of talk about the way this trilogy is a love story. I know that's something you want to talk about. We didn't talk about it much yet. We just sort of kind of alluded to the ways in which Neo makes choices related to love in this film. But uh, I, I think they it does, as many Hollywood epics do, it ends up being a love story at the end of the day, which I think is just, just nice. It's, it's sweet. It's sweet. And we get to see him bring her back from the Trinity. We get to yeah. see Neo bring Trinity back from the dead and reloaded, which is a pretty incredible and well, moving scene. And it's a nice flip, right? She brings him back from the dead at the end of the first movie. Yep. So it is sort of a nice turn. Yeah. Symmetry. 
Yeah. What are they going to do for the third one? I don't know. <laughs> they rhyme like poetry. They're, I do Thanks, like, George Lucas. Thanks, George Lucas. We got to cue the, the George Lucas gif. But I like that the there are like moments of repeated dialogue in all yeah. of these movies that I think are really cool, right? Uh, the believe it's and I don't believe it's and, you know, kind of similar sorts of it's impossibles and all sorts of fun stuff like that. I don't know is a great. Oh, uh, yeah. See I a don't lot. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I will say it does have one of the coolest action sequences ever. We didn't dive too, too deep into it, but um, just to say if you're, if you are for whatever reason, super opposed to watching um, the matrix reloaded, at least like see that chase scene, because it is one of the coolest. Lawrence Fishburne with a katana versus a car fighting an SUV. Yeah. And winning yeah. real well. <laughs> yeah, it kicks ass. It's, so good. I, I still can't get over the visual of the agent leapfrogging on the police cars. It looks so cool. It's so great. I Guys, why don't more movies build highways for their chase sequences? Good question. Well, gentlemen, I think that's going to take us right into the third and final part of the Matrix trilogy, The Matrix Revolutions. The program Smith has grown beyond your control. You cannot stop him, but I can. And if you fail... I won't. Do you know what happened to Neo? He is trapped in a place between this world and the machine world. Bring me the eyes of the Oracle. Then I will give you back your savior. Mr. Anderson. Who are you? Look past the flesh and see your enemy. It's impossible. Not impossible. Inevitable. <laughs> well, the Matrix Revolutions, uh, according to IMDb, is described as the human city of Zion defends itself against the massive invasion of the machines as Neo fights to end the war at another front while also opposing the rogue Agent Smith. Again, this was released November 5th, 2003, just about six months, uh, five months after uh, Reloaded. All right, so we, we mentioned the cliffhanger and how mixed feelings about it. Part of that has to do with, I think, where they pick it, they pick up at, which in this case is there's one scene that is set in the, the real world that feels like a, not non-consequential, but you're like, this is a weird scene to start the movie. And then you get to the scene at the train station, which I feel like is the more definitive, like, oh, this is what, what happened to Neo? Here he is. He's in this. I kind of like to make us wait for a scene a little bit, but again, I'm, I also wonder if Limbo Avenue or uh, Mobile Avenue rather shouldn't have been uh, in the second movie. So who? I don't know. I what, what am I talking about? I think Limbo Avenue could have. That could have been a great. See, we don't want to arm. Yeah, I get what you're saying about the armchair. Don't want to armchair not to. Yeah. But you're like, it but really if, is hard not to. But what if he wakes up in there and you're like, what the heck's this? Boom, smash the credits. I don't yeah, know. I don't, yeah, yeah. Who, knows? who knows? I didn't make the movie. Exactly. They they made the movie they wanted to make. And you know what? It's a very interesting movie. So, do you guys like this train scene, Daniel? I, as someone who loves Jacob's Ladder and uh, yeah, metaphors for yeah. train stations, especially when they're like purgatory because they are, um, I yeah, I I like it. It it worked for me. I don't I don't know if I was like really dwelling on it too much. Like I I think it kind of the movie starts to move a little bit. Um, but I, I do, I think it works. I I think for, you know, I mean, the matrix itself, for the most part, what we get of what the matrix is, is a very urban, you know, setting. I I know it's technically the whole world, but we don't really see that it is still kind of a, somewhat of a, um, a narrow, not, I don't want to say narrow focus, but it is focused a little bit. 
um, and, and primarily urban. And, and so I think the the train station below that is the purgatory. Is it works? It 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 fits for me. Well, it's got uh, Bruce Spence, the gyrocopter from the Road Warrior, as the the train man. His the train. He doesn't have a rules. name. He's the train man. He doesn't I'm need a name. Boss. His arms covered in watches. I, I love. He just kicks Neo, and Neo's like. What? He just is just a jabroni out there. He's like, what is happening? He's the evil key maker. We didn't even mention this, and I'm totally going to dogpile on, on this third movie. We didn't even mention, but yes, there are characters iconic, such as uh, the train man or the kid. That's their name. They are credited as those characters. Oh, yeah, the kid from Matrix, uh, Animatrix, rather. Yes, Animatrix. I thought you meant Satine. And I was like, Satine no. has a name? No, no, Satine <laughs> has a name. In fact, and a family. I hear she might be in the new one, maybe. But uh, Looks like maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, no, I'm talking about the character that is credited as the kid, the really annoying one that I'm going to really shit he's, on in this movie. Yeah, the 30-year-old playing a 16-year-old. Yes. He's doing his best. He's trying. Uh, heart. Everyone's hearts was in the right place with that character. Yes. Okay, I, I personally, again, being a sucker for all the mythology, I love this idea of, yeah, uh, again, like the, the place in between places. Well, there's so much of this movie, right, is like the, the Matrix, the human world of Zion and the machine world. And like it is this this liminal space between the three, right? Like, again, as, as a, a lover of the lore and the mythology, it does sort of feel like this really kind of cool place to start the movie at, right? And we get to start with love when he meets uh, Sati's parents. Right. Kamala, so Kamala and Rama talking about their, their mm-hmm. love for their child. It is such a nice place to start this movie that will end, end up end up being about love. Uh, yeah, uh, of course. And it, it I think it's another one of those where it, it brings in spiritual themes as well. You know, it, it's not the afterlife. It's not the Matrix. Karma Karma's a word. There we go. Uh, <laughs> what a great scene. <laughs> Uh, so I think it's just a really great way to add to the lore. And like you said, Dalton, it also underscores some of the themes that are going to be explored. And I, I think looking back on the whole trilogy are present throughout uh, by this this introduction here. You know, my favorite part about this train sequence on yeah. top of everything I just said is, you know, who controls the train? The Merovingian. Merovingian's back, baby! Yeah, we get to go to Club Hell. Hell, which is like a sex club. and, and That's great. It's I love fantastic. It. it wasn't very hellish, I have to ask, admittedly. But. I have to ask, whenever they were breaking in, did they did they like uh, game plan that? They're like, all right, we're going to get back to back, and we're all going to walk in. So I'm speaking, it's so cool. Whenever Trinity, uh, Morpheus, and Seraph all walk in together, with they're doing their spin with their guns out. That's oh, Gosh, it's so cool. Lots of cool stuff in this movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the visuals of like the there's not very many sequences where uh, people with mul- multiple people with superpowers fight each other in this in this trilogy. Right. And it, to have the Merovingians goons going up against our, our trio of intrepid heroes is people jumping off the wall, people on the ceiling. It kicks ass. It's just a very fun, like opening action set piece for this movie that won't have much action for quite a long stretch after that. Yeah. That's the thing about this one. The, the pacing is quite Which a bit I different. Like. Yeah. It's much different than it's, reloaded slows down. It's the, uh, the deep breath before the, the plunge sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Which, which is, which is neat. If the plunge was actually good or fun to watch. Disagree. <laughs> okay. So in, in some regards, okay. we'll get there. Okay. Well, let's talk about Zion because 
and it because it ties into my other question about the, the visual effects here because yeah i see i think that i love the way zion looks okay. i like the apcs the, the 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 mechs that they're using i think they look great i think there's a lot of really good uh miniature work in zion i, I mean i think you know there's these images of the sentinel swarming them that are completely clearly computer generated but i think what the the idea of this machine swarm of locusts what it visually looks oh, like that's incredible it looks great. The big drill looks cool. There's all kinds of just like really cool stuff. So even if some of the seams show, I feel like it's still composited well. Like as much CGI is going on, I feel like the the lighting is still working out pretty pretty okay. Uh, I, I'm just totally on board with the, the defense of Zion as a sequence. I think it runs a little long is what I will say. I think there's maybe a little too much of it, but Commander Mifune, come oh, on. He's great. He's a it. great character. He's, he, yeah, do we get to know him very well? No, he's a pretty stock, like, cool military guy. But, like, he gets his line about how he also never finished the training simulator. What a, what a, what a, uh, that's a great, I, I will line. say, I did like that. Okay. It's I, good. Yeah. yeah it's like good, that. weepy, I, yeah. like, yeah, like, bro war movie shit. I, I think it, <laughs> I think it works more or less. Uh, I, I, I like Harry Lennox, you know, not wanting to, you know, him and this this other captain. You know, we th- there's a lot of like humans who don't trust in Neo in this. And I, I think that it's really important to get that perspective, um, especially in part three. I, I think to, the way they, they sum up without being too blunt, the way they sort of sum up some of the the contrast between Henry Lennox and the other characters is when they said, so are you saying that we're, we're not going to make it? And he says, you're asking the wrong person. You need to ask that guy. The guy believes in miracles. Because he believes in miracles. And I was like, that's beautiful. Because he's such a pragmatic voice, again, in a world that our inherent POV is to be pro-Morpheus. And it's nice to have uh, a character that I would say divides that, that is the opposite of that. And also, uh, we haven't even talked about Jada Pickett-Smith as Nairobi here, where she is... Also not buying the one stuff, but also she believes, believes in Neo. Neo. Yeah, yeah, it's such a cool moment where she says, I believe in him specifically. I don't believe in this idea of of a of a capital O one. I believe in this one dude. Uh, and I, 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 I think that that's that's really fun stuff. It, you know, and Morpheus kind of gets to have a similar, you know, he doesn't totally know what Neo plans to do. Right. When Neo takes this ship and goes off on his own with Trinity he doesn't really understand the plan. And I think it's important to have Morpheus who's been this true believer the whole time kind of have this, this real like sequence of doubt throughout the end of the movie. It's pretty cool stuff. Well, and even at the end of the reloaded, we didn't even, we didn't touch on it, but uh, just, yes, he, at the, at the end of that movie, in the beginning of this movie, he is really being challenged in ways he hasn't. He thought, he thought he would take Neo to Neo's destiny and Mm -hmm. the war would be over. Yeah. Well, and, and even in Reloaded, the, the scene where Neo's like, it's all a lie. This was all another system of control. And he says, I don't believe that. I was yeah. like, wow, yeah. that's good stuff, which carries out throughout this film as well. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll get to like more about that that character arc here in a bit. But no, I, I think it is some of the stronger material in this film. Absolutely. Uh, I will also say, Dalton, to your point, when I watched it this time, this is the first time I think I've watched this movie in high definition. Oh, yeah. Because I have the DVDs which I watched for many years and mm. I skipped the Blu-rays and now I have 4k Blu-rays Ooh. and uh, I got to say, I don't think it looks great a lot of the time, but it looks better than I remembered. Gotcha. So uh, I, cause I think some of the visuals are pretty cool. Some of the imagery you mentioned about the Sentinels is really powerful stuff, but man, it's too long. 
It, uh, it's, it's yeah, I will agree with that. I think the defensive Zion stuff is it's a very long sequence that sort of drags uh, in parts. Too many ancillary characters. Not that I dislike. Not that I dislike them, and I like seeing the idea of these other characters working together to fight the battle. I like the idea, but I just didn't feel as invested in a lot of those characters as maybe I wanted to be to spend this much time. Uh, with them. I can't even remember her name, but uh, the the character that goes off with Z, uh, it was a character that I has a name, but is only like said once or twice. She's she's cool. There's this very butch lady who's got the, the, the rocket launcher. She kicks ass and I like Z. But I was just saying, like, they're, they're characters that we don't really know a lot about. That we don't spend much time with it outside of the third movie. Uh, they are it's sort of a lot is being put on the shoulders of like four performances, really, maybe five. If you count Harry Lennox for the defense of Zion. Yeah, it's and again, a long sequence. Yes. And I think the kid is a very bad character. Uh, one, yeah, okay, so, I, so maybe they should have got somebody younger. I don't know. So so the, it's a multifaceted problem. One, it would it would be his gosh shucksness would be easier to buy out of an actual like teenager. Mm -hmm. So I think that part one is actually uh, my criticisms of this character are one to really appreciate him. You do need to have seen the animatrix. I would, I would argue because he has, there's a whole chapter of the animatrix yeah. where you get how he, how he uh, what his deal is, is awakened. Uh, so, cause he just shows up and reloaded and you're like, he, he just shows up and he's even positioned as a really annoying character. Like, you know, Neo and Trinity are like rolling their eyes, at this guy. And, and, I like the idea of this young, scrappy person that people underestimate. Well, somebody that brings in that that real, um, I don't know, Wachowski's uh, humanism, right? That just like the desire to believe in in, in goodness of and, and you know transcendence of the collective, right? And and also to be kind of imperfect because that that is one thing I have. Maybe one reservation I have about the Matrix as a whole sometimes is everyone is just so like seemingly perfectly calculated and just like straight as an arrow and seems to like hit well. And so to have a character, yeah, a lot of the characters have their imperfections. Actually, I, I do. I think I'm most compelled by Morpheus's arc of the idea of the apostle that isn't, <laughs> you know, like that's the thing. A lot of people believe in the, the, the prophet, but the apostle becomes a little loony sometimes and a, a little hard to get behind in moments. But, but I do like the kid in that he does present, you know, the, I, he and oddly can be kind of in some ways sometimes the most human character. Um, and I do think there's something there. Is he executed super well? Uh, um, does the animatrix help him a lot? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I, I think what they're trying to do is kind of admirable. No, no what they're trying to do, I think, yeah. like conceptually, I think it's actually really moving and yeah. sweet and adds that human element that you guys are describing. The execution was a little botched. I wonder if yeah. there, I, I do think. feel like we could use another Zion scene. That's not an action scene. You know, yeah. we get so much time in the matrix, even in reloaded. I feel like we spend a lot of time within the matrix itself. Well, see, and I think that therein lies the problem because it's lopsided reloaded. We spend so much time yeah. in the matrix and there's a little bit of time in Zion. They try really hard to set it up, but it, it ultimately wasn't enough time. And this is just my take. The stuff in the Matrix in that movie was significantly more interesting anyway, so I don't mind that that's how it shook out. Yeah. The flip side is, though, in this one, we spent tons of time outside of the Matrix, and I'm just genuinely less interested. I'm very interested in all the Machine City stuff, which I'm, I guess we'll probably talk about 
yeah. a little bit later, but I, I, I like that we spend so much time out of the matrix. I just, I, I, I wish we spent maybe just a little less time on the, the actual action beat that is the defense of Zion. Yeah. Daniel, you've been pretty quiet about this Zion talk other than just listening to me and Dalton go back and forth. What, what's your take on? Well, I don't. Yeah. Uh, the defense of Zion as a whole. Yes. I do think it overstays. It's welcome now that we've established. Unfortunately, <laughs> I wanted Again, a, a more intimate Zion. I felt like, as a whole, the stakes in the Matrix, <sighs> just the way Zion is framed, it kind of, again, deflates some of the stakes for me a little bit. Um, makes it a little bit harder when I got so attached to, again, what I felt like in the original Matrix was a bit more of an intimate movie. And so this, you know, turns that to 11. And again, where as The Matrix Reloaded started to kind of pull the curtain, so to speak, this film like tears it off of, <laughs> you know, the. Uh, the hinges and it's, it's really, it, it was really hard for me to get, I guess, engaged by it until kind of the, the, the conclusion kind of when we, if we finally get to like ex machina a little bit is when I started to get a little more. I do like the last act of this movie overall. Yeah. That's what I mean. I do like that. Yeah. that. And I do, um, I like, uh, again, I like Neo's trajectory throughout it and I'm, I'm a fan of the, the, the 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 blind neo um, yeah oh god to, the bro- blind prophet stuff is all that's that's it, does, it does well yeah, yeah it's that. just it's an it's a timeless idea exactly yeah it, it's it's very good I, I i like the idea of uh, bane being the first time that neo like realizes he can see without uh his eyes right yeah. like it is within that fight that he he realizes that he can still sort of see uh and then sees that the machines are more than he thought, which yeah. I think is uh, all of that stuff is great. We're the, I mean, we're, we're about to talk about this, right? About yeah. sort of the arc of Neo and Trinity in this movie. Yeah. Before we get that though, I, I, I you did mention Bane there and I want to stop and just pause mm. on that a little mm. bit because here's the thing. They treat, they treat him like such a, a big setup. Great Hugo loaded. weaving impression in this movie. Oh, incredible. The great stuff. I, it is funny how, I mean, obviously the, the rules of reality, uh, are, against them but it is funny as the viewer you're like oh come on how do they not recognize the guy's speaking cadence he's yeah. like telling very specific Mr. stories anderson <laughs> he's like we always chased you every time and it became frustrating you uh, stinky stinky ape man <laughs> <laughs> um so here's here's you what made i'll say. Me bleed my own blood <laughs> <laughs> Going to get you. Sorry, I'm having way too much fun no, with this now. Oh, it's good. No, it's great. I because I do think it's a great Hugo Weaving impression, and yep. they make him look like Hugo Weaving. Even I, I mean, they they cast an actor that kind of yeah. favors him a little bit. He's got yeah. the brow there yeah. going. That's important. Also, it's hilarious that even under the skin, under our fl- this fleshy uh, prison, you as he would call it, he still is wearing sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, which I, was I funny. love that his yeah his his digital ghost or whatever is yeah, yeah wearing sunglasses. Great stuff. <laughs> so I just want to ask because I do want to kind of we'll start to wrap up you know character arcs and whatnot. But the reason I ask because I my feeling about the cliffhanger is mostly that I feel like they set it up as if it's going to be some monumental thing that mm. that he is in the real world. The implication is pretty big. I don't feel like we actually see that implication in action in the third movie at all because the, we hear about how he blew up that other ship with the EMP. We hear it. We don't see it. And we see him murder one person, which again, it's grisly. It's terrible. It's not great. Murdering people scary. He's like almost like a slasher. That's kind of scary. But the implication is like this is almost like a universe altering thing that he's going to do 
at least I felt that was the way the way they had on the cliffhanger with the the don't music, you know, yeah. like he's he's gonna be a big deal. And in reality, the only thing he does is he blinds Neo, which hey, we get blind prophet Neo as you were just describing, which is pretty cool. But it didn't feel like consequential enough to pay off to I justify get, the pay the, the setup. I guess the only idea that I, I I the only way I can defend it is on an ideas level, right? I, I think if you think about Smith as this this nihilism, right? This sort of misanthropic, and not, and not, and not just nihilism, but this misanthropic nihilism, right? right. That sees life as uh, short and stupid and, 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 and meaningless. <clears throat> it's interesting then that it, it's his desire to destroy Neo, and no matter how, whether it's in the Matrix or in the real world, it's, it is this compulsion to destroy Neo is what gives Neo the ability to see the machines as more than what he thought they were, right? Is to see the souls within these machines uh, and, and to see them as beings unto themselves, right? It is it is kind of interesting when when what Neo has to do is die to himself uh, so the Matrix and humanity can be saved, which is not what he thought he would be doing. He did not think he would be saving the Matrix at the beginning of the Matrix 1 um, or at the end yeah. of Matrix 1, right? And it is, it is Bane, it is Bane Smith that does this to him, that gives him the ability to see that he, he really can maybe make a deal with the machines. That's what I have for you, but... Mm. I, I think that works pretty well. And so that's why I think that, that that's why I roll my eyes at the, the architect's sequence because he's like, we just weren't, you know, we were not, what is the phrase he uses? You might remember more where he's like, we just couldn't, um, we didn't account for your imperfections or something along yeah, the line. I can't of, remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking more of what uh, Smith says in Matrix One, where he's yeah. like, "You define your reality through suffering." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like we created but the first the version says. of it was a paradise, and you yeah. could, hated it. You couldn't not enough. Yeah, which I always. I'm not going to dive into like why they didn't like why do they even need a Matrix to, to harvest humans, but um, human emotion. Human emotion. That's I guess. that's the big theory I'll throw out there. I don't know who gives a shit. It's not important. Serotonin. So somebody tried to. Expl- my my friend has more than once tried to explain to me how the, uh, the laws of conservation of matter mean that human beings can't possibly generate enough energy to survive, sustain the robots. But I don't understand. It's not, I'm not worth, a scientist. No, and it's not. That's not. The, the, this movie already does enough. Again, I've I've said this very repeatedly <laughs> ad nauseum. At this point, it's probably getting annoying. It does enough curtain jerking that we don't need. Yeah, don't 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 pick it apart <laughs> further. Please. I'll, I'll say, Dalton, and, you you won me over a little bit on the Bane stuff because uh, as a person who unabashedly will love and watch anything the Wachowskis do, that is a very Wachowskis esque explanation for why that's in this movie, and I'm totally mm. about it. So, hey, all right, I'll, I'll take I'll, it. I'll take I'll well, take I'll take that as a win. You. And and again, it we're we're going to get a little bit more like I think conclusive but here in a moment but like on a high level this is the thing I I like the story on a high level like the plot points what it talks about what it explores I really like it's just I think there is something missing in the inherent storytelling and I think the Wachowskis will improve upon that exponentially um, eventually with like Cloud Atlas is, is the film I'm thinking of that that I think is a great piece of storytelling and that um and but that doesn't mean that <laughs> there isn't a lot of good things here. Like that's the weird thing. And that's where it's like as individual movies, I'm not specifically reloaded in, in revelation um revolutions, excuse me. I'm I'm not high on, but you know, it, it, it as a story. I think this is, I, we've kind of talked around this. I think this is why I prefer three to two. As much as I think two is sort of 
know, more cohesive as a uh, adventure film. I think three has like better emotional stakes. And I'd you, agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like the plot oh, beats. Absolutely. Yeah. The plot beats and the philosophy are a little bit more teased out in three. So even if it's not as cohesive of an experience, I think there's, I just, there's a lot to like to it to me. Well, Daniel, I, I just want you to know, cause we're going to, we're going to dive into the emotional piece here. Yeah. But before you do, what, the argument you just made is the same argument I've been making to defend the Star Wars prequels for a very long time. <laughs> the story's so good. <laughs> what he's trying to do is so great. That's the thing. It's like, uh... Okay, but okay, emotions. Yes, uh, I think this is one. One of I think the benefits of it being set more in the real world is that the stakes feel more real. You know, you fall off a building, you're going to die. You get shot. You're, you're pretty toast. You know, I know that that can happen to matrix too, but like in the real world, like it, it feels more final, you know, the, the way that physicality or or violence even is portrayed in the real world is yeah. Like decidedly different in a way that I think is very effective. Well, and that takes us right to uh, a bit of tragedy between Neo and Trinity. So this is, uh, again, a love story as Dalton laid out earlier. We have the first film where Trinity saves Neo and then the second film, Neo saves Trinity and reality sets in at number three, uh, Neo, neither Neo or Trinity survive and Neo can't save her. It is a very sad moment. Oh, it's so good. And, and Carrie Ann Moss is so understated oh. in this scene too, right? Like I, I think she does the death scene. Like, it, it's it's just very quiet, very soft, and very, uh, and, and very uh, final, or very very accepting of what is happening. And I I think it's fair to read this to be annoyed at this, right? Like I, I think it's fair to to read this as like, oh, they got to kill Trinity just so he can get the, well. You know, he's also about to die. They are about to join each other. And yeah, it's it's pretty kind of classic love story to kill both of the the people participating in the love affair. But I think it works more or less. Do you remember? On that roof after you caught me. The last thing I said to you. You said I'm sorry. I wish I hadn't. That was my last thought. I wished I had one more chance. It's small, but when she is impaled, basically, and and she's sitting there dying, and you know Neo has not given up because it's like, well, I've been able to work through all these other challenges, and like, so this is something that we can keep going. And when she just like, it's just a subtle moment, but she just like grabs his wrist because he can't, you know, he can see, but not, you know, like he has he has matrix vision, I guess. I don't know. And she, um, moves his wrist just also like closely to like one of the 
to 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 show him what's happening. Right. It's like yeah, like no, yeah. I am impaled and like I'm that, dead, dude. Yeah, <laughs> no, and I'm like, ah, oh, that's so poignant. Like it really just mm. puts a pit in your stomach. And 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 I think well, that, she she gets this, these great lines right about how like the first time she died, it was all about fear and and uh, and loss as opposed to like get, being happy for just one last second. Like, yeah, that's it's exactly. really it's it's nice. I don't it's know. Good. Yeah, it's a nice know. moment. Oh, very very nice. It's moment. well acted. Even that if, too. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I get it. I get not wanting to kill everybody. Happy endings are nice, but I, I like a tragedy. It's yeah. Along with the next thing. Yeah, well, and, and it just highlights sort of the, the underscoring theme here, which is that Neo is only able to be the one because of Trinity. And it's only because of Trinity. He was able to save the human race essentially, because again, when he was given the option of whether save the human race or go save Trinity, he goes and saves Trinity. But it's only because he does that he's able to break the cycle of going back into another iteration yeah. of the Matrix, right? So I think it's a really powerful driver, one that's not immediately obvious in the first film. Obviously, they love each other in the first film, but it, it doesn't feel like it's the, the real driving force of the plot until I think the end of two and they really bring it home in three pretty well. Any, any other thoughts on that? Um, two is a, is a sex scene. And I don't want to say that like define a really well-framed sex scene actually. And I don't want to like have that as like the definition of, of what love is necessarily, but I do think that love story element definitely what I mean is like, they can't get enough of one another, <laughs> like they're bound to one another from the start of that film. And, and so I think it, um, matrix reloaded, I should say. Um, and that carries onward. Um, throughout. So I definitely think they, they, the Wachowskis very deliberately position that love story early on. I, I would say much earlier. I, 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 I don't know. I, I do think it's well-defined a little bit sooner than the conclusion. I think it's m- more well-acted than it is well-defined. You know, maybe it's a lot true. of acting choices and yeah. good chemistry throughout that's the maybe, three films. And yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you believe that these two are into it. And, you know, that's, you know, you got two attractive movie stars on a screen together. You you know, if they've got even a, a enough, a little bit of chemistry, it'll work. Right. Um, and, and it does here. Um, I buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that it works as much as it needs to for this sort of philosophical action franchise to do what it needs to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the, the choices they made, especially in this third film, I think it's one of those once, once yeah. it's made, it's, it's a lot, the, the line is a lot more clear from the first film yeah. than maybe when you're watching it the first time. Right. Uh, well, of course we've got, we, we open this movie with, I don't have time for this shit. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll die. Well, we'll kill, I'll kill all of us. If it, if it means you're not going to give me, give me my dude back. Yeah, I believe it. So let's let's look at another one of the the main characters here. We've already you know described Morpheus as the the apostle. I mean his his arc throughout the trilogy really does revolve around the faith in Neo and this prophecy. Do you think this is a sufficient payoff for that storyline? Yeah, he th- you know the, this moment where him and Niobe embrace, right, where the war is finally over, and uh, it's it didn't come the way Morpheus thought it would. It wasn't just the the simultaneous freeing of all humans and the, the destruction of the machines. It was it was a truce. Uh, but it, but it finally paid off. He, even his, his, he was rewarded in his doubt, uh, uh, in, in, uh, what he had hoped for his entire, uh, his entire journey. Well, and it, and it, I really, one thing I really love is the, and I think maybe, you know, maybe we'll, I know we'll get to this in a moment, but we'll maybe explore this hopefully in resurrections, but the lingering question of what does an apostle do when they get to live through the prophecy that they've been following effectively be fulfilled, or at least reach a conclusion, even if it wasn't quite what he thought. Um, and I think that lingering question that like, what does Morpheus do now? It is a great open-ended question that I just feel kind of like, you know, 
It's a great question. By. Yeah, and I it's... hate I hate to tell you that it is canon in the Matrix Online that he goes to try to save Neo and the robot no. city and dies. Stop. It is canon. Get away. Yeah, it's no, yeah. He tries to get me. I, I I know about this too because I'm it's a, upsetting. I'm it's a upsetting. Dork and I have to know these things. I mean, yeah, it's upsetting. So, but maybe maybe we'll find out in this new movie that that wasn't yeah, true either. Well, I, you know? well, well, who knows? I don't know what Yahamadu Abdul Mateen the second's uh, role is in this movie. I want to know. I can't wait to find out. Can't wait to find out. That's it'll the, yeah, they'll explain it somehow. So so one last thing here, and I didn't mention this in the notes, but I, I think we should we'd be remiss if we didn't at least talk about it a little bit, which is you know, this uh exploration of Agent Smith versus Neo, mm. Hugo Weaving being a very strong performer throughout it, great bad guy. And, you know, the the Oracle describes him as like his counterpart. His opposite. Opposite, right? Uh, do you guys feel like this is a, a pretty sufficient conclusion? to sort of the the battle the sort of like good versus evil sort of thing <clears throat> well it's you know it's the revelation that this the story has never been a simple good versus evil tale right it, it is about the bit bending together of, of two seemingly opposed opposites right and, and trying to find a third solution right it is so much about how revolutions always you can't annihilate your enemy Right. And whatever. Let's we'll stick to the French because yeah, then I don't have to talk about our own politics uh, at all. But if you look at, you know, their history from the late 1700s through the Napoleonic era, right? Like you have revolution after revolution after revolution. And it just kind of gets to look at this historical human idea of like you can't just kill all the bad guys. Life doesn't work that way. It isn't that simple. Whatever revolution you want to look at, there is always the the seeds for the next revolution are laid during the, the previous one. Um, so it, it, to, to have Neo and, and Smith as these, these opposites, it is really interesting to have this, this, this ultimate evil, this ultimate destroyer and this, this ultimate love, uh, they have to come together and, uh, reconcile. And, uh, it, that is what inevitably like lets everything, uh, in on a note of peace. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, the thing I find compelling is firstly, uh, we mentioned earlier the monologue that agent Smith has with Morpheus in the first film where he, he basically calls the human race a virus mm-hmm. Ironically, he himself becomes the virus, and I think there's something really interesting going on there. We we see see these programs are loving like humans, right? So we know programs can can be more human than Smith is, right? Mm -hmm. And so it is it is like absorbing Neo and Sati and the Oracle, and and seeing being forced into these POVs of love is is sort of what does seem to destroy him when he assimilates all this. No, I think I think I know you 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 said that really well because in the first film he sort of represents the control, the institution. Mm-hmm. He is the sec, you know the secret agent yeah. trying to he's, put he's down the, the rebel. face of the machines. But then whenever he loses his purpose in part two, he becomes the nihilist, as you described earlier, and he just seeks to destroy because nothing has purpose anymore. Uh, and it's only whenever he experiences these emotions that are foreign to him that he cannot uh, sustain himself. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, it's a good movie, damn it. <laughs> also, the fight goes full Dragon Ball Z, and that's I don't, and I don't even yes. care. I love it. Well, and, you know, doing it at night and in the rain allows them to sort of hide the seams a little bit better yeah, than the yeah. big fight in two. Uh, and again, it gets to be a, a story about how, like, we get a cool fight, but then it ends on how, like, no... That's sometimes you just have to die to yourself and yeah. accept that like it's not all about you. It's not about winning sometimes. That's beautiful. Daniel, anything you want to add to that regarding Agent Smith? <laughs> uh yeah, as far as an antagonist concerned, is he's very fa- powerful. And I know this is how virtually almost every conflict works, but when you it illustrates, you know, two opposing forces just trying to really exercise their free will, which is what 
Agent Smith ultimately receives. I know he becomes a nihilist and he just wants to destroy, but that's what he, in a way, wants to do. It's what he's designed to do when you have both of these go at it. I, I, I think it's really... I don't know. I, I I do think it's a strong battle, and I and I I admit that's that's where these films pique my attention a lot more. Is pretty much any time Hugo Weaving or Agent Smith <laughs> shows up is 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 where I get a lot. Doesn't have a bad scene in the trilogy. Re- yeah, he really doesn't. Yeah, and that's the thing. And and it's it's very powerful. I I do think he is. I mean, he's the he's the the IRS basically. I I mean, <laughs> effectively, he he really. Yeah, no, one of the one of the great nemeses of of cinema. But a couple of quick things here before we give a letter grade and move on here. Uh, I think this film makes a really bold decision, especially when I think about just blockbuster films today, specifically the superhero genre. They make the decision not to position a, a winner between humans and machines, but rather a coexistence a truce exactly a truce make peace with your enemies they don't live together last as long that will last as long as it can you can have both and as long as it can 20 years maybe (laughs) yes we'll we'll see on december 22nd exactly it turns out the machines just kind of did the thing again or maybe the human or the maybe the humans screwed up something a machine civil war even who knows no the possibilities are in they are they truly are but I, I don't know. This is one of the things that I really love about the sequels is they they could have taken a route that would have been more comfortable. They could have followed the chosen one narrative. They could have played into tropes that they'd even laid out in the first film. But they decided not to do that at pretty much any corner as far as I can tell. I mean, what do you guys think about this? The idea of a war ending in a truce is really bold because our war movies always win with uh, end with a, a winner. Our superhero movies always end with a CGI bad guy being <laughs> murdered. You know, what, like I don't know. What, what did you guys make of this? Did it uh, stick out to you? I, as I already alluded to, right? Like it's th- this is a movie that ends on nuance and it, it kind of accepts like what a hard decision that would be. Yeah. If you are presented with the reality that you're going to be born into, if you leave the matrix, like it, it appreciates that that's not an easy choice necessarily. And I, I don't again, and it appreciates that the machines and the programs that run the matrix um, like that world and might want to stay there. You know, it appreciates that Sati wants to make a sunrise for all the nice people and for, for Neo, wherever he is. I don't know. I, I think, I don't know necessarily what it means at, at the end of the day. I haven't, I was still trying to pierce that piece that out rather. Um, but I, I think it works as far as the, the ending to this, this franchise or this, the ending to this trilogy, I should say. Yeah. And for such a fantastical film, what a what a realistic way to like conclude it. I mean, and I and I think that says a lot about you know and about life and about what again what what as a film that questions reality constantly. Somehow it it reaches one of the most real conclusions I think it could have. Um, again, that doesn't really. I, I'm still a little sour towards the the um, excuse me um, revolutions and and a little bit reloaded as well. But um, I do still think the ending like makes sense ultimately. Um, and yeah, it, that's what life more or less is. You never really, I mean, yeah, wars are waged and like one, but are they really? It seems to be that there's, there's more of just this kind of perpetual motion that happens because who's to say, even if, you know, either the machines overtook humanity or vice versa, what's stopping that cycle from just coming back eventually. So that's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, the more I meditate on it, the more I feel 
like it's 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 appropriate and it is bold um and again we'll we'll get to our conclusive thoughts on the trilogy as a whole in a moment specifically the ones i'm compelled by but as far as the ending and, and the conclusion that's presented in revolutions it's yeah i i honestly probably about as good as they could have ended it i don't i don't think i don't i don't think there's a way they could have maybe i don't know it's hard to say there's some like some sort of a more satisfactory conclusion um but people don't like that generally people want definitive things was it what was the game was it mass effect that three that like they had yeah. to like patch yeah. Yeah. the game lit. and that's the thing yeah. because people can't gamers are dipshits and I they, they want to shoot the bad guy to death exactly you took the words right out of my mouth because the thing I, I find most beautiful about this is that there are ways to win without violence exactly. there are ways to achieve your goals without destroying your opponent for real i mean there might be muddier they might be more complicated they might, might take longer yeah but there are ways to do it i mean bombs are cool Listen, I mean, that, that's that's my official take on this episode is it's fucking sick when things blow up. I'm not going to pretend yeah. it's not. Bro, you are going to love Chris Nolan's next movie. <laughs> <laughs> what is Oppenheimer about? I don't know. Does Some it, nothing? Bombs, maybe. Who I could, don't know. All right. I didn't know if, if there was any. But is it called yet. Oppenheimer? I yes. thought it was uh, called I, I Am Become Death. No, no, it's Oppenheimer. Or at least right now it's Oppenheimer. But uh, no, that's another podcast. Another podcast. Uh, okay, so so last question here on Revelations. I mean, humans do have a, a choice, a conscious choice rather, between remaining in the Matrix and then going back into the real world. I mean, I like that it ends again, going back to one of the core themes of the original film, which is choice. So how would you say, how well do you think this would realize some of those larger themes at work that were in the, the trilogy before and why how, like the, does it even work well here? Well, you referenced inception earlier, right? And it reminds me of the scene in inception where there's the, the people who are uh, addicted to the shared dreaming. Right. And uh, somebody has the line about like, uh, who are you to tell them that the dream isn't, isn't real. And uh, th- there's something to be said about that, that ending here. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. There's some parallels there. Some people would rather live in a fantasy than the reality. Yeah. And how do you reconcile those two things? I don't know. That's the question we ask a lot. (laughs) And we all kind of pick and choose what we choose to avoid and stuff. (laughs) We we all live with our our sort of uh, soft climate denials as we go through our daily lives sometimes, I think. Yeah, we become calculated in the ways we sedate ourselves. Well, and and it goes back to what you were saying. One of the things I think has aged well, I mean, especially this idea of like echo chambers and us sort of creating our own reality. Yeah, like you said, we, we choose to overlook things or deny things or not think about things. Uh, who are, like you said, who are we to judge, which I actually think is pretty powerful. The movie, I think, actively encourages you not to judge one way or the other, you know? Yeah, well, you, you, we started talking about sort of the weird MRA reading that exists of at least the first Matrix movie, and it does make you go, um, you know, what? How, how can you choose to... to to exclude somebody if you're trying to build something inclusive, uh, which is not me saying you got to be nice to people who want to kill you the fuck right. that. But, <laughs> but I think again, we're just talking about sort of the, the ways in which the, this third film makes room for nuance within a, an action film, which is pretty rare. Absolutely. Uh, well, fellows, it is time for us to do letter grades. So let's do it this way. Cause I just realized we skipped over reloaded uh, letter grades. So let's, I would love well, to hear it. Yeah. Okay. I, I like this. Cause, right, so, cause so, here's, here's what I got for you. Okay. I've been thinking about this. I think reloaded is a C plus and I think revolutions is a B minus and we put them together. They equal a solid B, uh, if not a B plus. There we go. He did it. Daniel, I want you to rate individually 
your your letter grade for them as individual films and then as a combined piece. Reloaded would be a C for me, and uh, I, I think Revolutions would be a D plus. Although, again, I really like Dalton's arguments. Dalton, God, you make films that I initially don't like. You make me, you make me stew. That's on. what I live to do. You make me question. And, and, Daniel, and I, why, this is why no, we have this and podcast. I, no, and I will say, I, I greatly appreciate that. I'm going to weave my appreciation more into how we feel about the trilogy overall. But um, yeah, I, I like a C minus. I think you could, I, I put uh, sure. D plus is what I kind of felt like for the, the um, revolutions, but I, I would say maybe a, a C minus, but the caveat being, I don't think that takes entirely away from the staying power and the importance of this trilogy as a whole. I'm going to go B plus for reloaded and then go C for uh, revolutions. And then, yeah, you combine them. I actually say you get a B plus. There you go. Imperfect, but uh, there's still the the things that I like overwhelmingly outweigh the things that I am annoyed by considerably. So uh, anyway, Ladies and gentlemen, we just defended the Matrix sequels. The mission accomplished. This is why I held this podcast because I, I want I didn't you entirely all to- defend them. Let's 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 <laughs> the takeaway, Daniel. Okay, no, no, no. okay, okay, okay. Two two v one. I see. So we're going to talk about final thoughts on the overall trilogy, and then talk about resurrections a little bit here. What do you think when you look at it as a, a complete piece? Why do you think the the Matrix trilogy, not just the first film or the sequels, why do you think it stands unique against uh, films that we're seeing released today? Regardless of whether or not I'm like as positive of the final two films or the, the the second two films as you are, the thing about the Matrix and the trilogy as a whole is it was experimental and it really wasn't afraid to fail. Like it wasn't afraid. Like that's the thing is like so many films, you see all these Marvel movies, they all have like a template that they just fit to. And I think Dalton really hit it well when like, we do not see the nuance that these have the questions that this acts. We don't see these in action movies. We don't see these in very big adventure films nowadays. They, they still pop up every once in a while, but it's very uncommon. And I just, you have to, I do for someone who doesn't like the second, the, the, the final two films, I appreciate that. You know what? They still went and did it and they still, they went out there and did it. They just, <laughs> they just tried really hard. No, it's not. It's not this. See, look, you got to get on that, uh, get on on that field and give 110% on those cameras. Right, right. Exactly. No, they, they, they were not afraid to fail. And if they did a little bit in my eyes, that still doesn't remove the staying power of these films. They're still as a whole, very important. Yes. Do I think the original matrix films is the one that's like the definitive science fiction film that, that, you know, again, is amid the panther. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I don't think that that's, and it. I, and I don't I mean, think you were saying that either yeah. with the films. I, um, I like them as a piece. Don't get me wrong. And I, yeah. but yeah, I, I'm not going to fault anybody who says there's one that kind of stands head and shoulders above the other two. And I, I think that that's fair in some respects. Yes. No, no question. I, I do yeah. love the way the, which the, the rest of it kind of deepens the, the whole experience, yeah. but it, yeah, it incur. Okay. Here's the thing. They, they encourage convert like I think a mm. lot more like stronger conversations. Hence well, I think that's why, why the, yeah the Wachowskis and have been so so mum on their their thoughts about these movies, right? Exactly. Is because they 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 appreciate the way their silence builds conversation. Exactly. So with that being said, yeah, I I I do. Yeah. No, I, I here's the thing. They're ambitious, and that's the thing I love about the Wachowskis. I I love 
the Wachowskis. They don't do anything makers. halfway. They don't. They commit. They no. go whole, all in. And even Jupiter Ascending, which I think is actually a very bad movie. I, I, I like kind of love. I like that movie. I love how passionate. You can see the passion on the screen. You can see the ideas. And you're like. There's a lot to like. Wow, there's so much cool stuff here that I will totally overlook. The bees can smell royalty, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Claire, They know a queen. And Cloud Atlas, which Daniel referenced earlier, that is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, period, and, and and it's, it's uh, it, I think they've, they they hone some of their ideas a little more there. So I mean, like everything they do. Sense Eight, you mentioned that earlier, Dalton. Yeah, that that is a terrific yeah. show that doesn't always hit the nail on the head, but I don't care. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's I think sweet. about that uh, that uh, what's up the karaoke all the time. Oh man, that, that sequence of the four non blondes, what's up over all those characters. Yeah. They're it's great just, filmmakers. They're great filmmakers, and they're it makes me sad that we might not ever see them work together again. Hey, yeah, careers are long. We'll see. It, it, it isn't it, the thing that's interesting about them. I'll I'll end my soapbox about the Wachowskis, but is there? You know, we we've talked a lot, almost two hours, about these films and all the philosophical and the influences. It's very heady, but at the core of all their movies, very emotional, spiritual drivers i think like the other stuff's kind of like it deepens it it makes it more enriching but it's not really the thing that's driving the story or the moments i remember the most so uh yeah no i, I say hats off i think that as a piece no one in hollywood is making stuff like this or even trying at this point hard i shouldn't say trying but hardly anyone is successfully well, it, getting a film or a trilogy yeah, off the uh, i would say that yeah dune maybe right is it warner brothers dune is that is that kind of the closest analog we have is it something that's trying and even that's an adaptation of a, of a, a adaptation of a well-loved ip there we go exactly yeah no i think that's the closest because uh, that is denny villeneuve's passion project but yet it is based off of a, a novel so uh for that alone and I don't know, maybe I, I think I'm just getting old and jaded, especially with in, as much as I enjoy the Marvel films and, and superhero films to a certain degree. It, whenever you see something different and ambitious, it just sticks out. It gets brownie points for me automatically. Uh, the Eternals recently was a huge mess. But you know what? I, I would rather watch that movie again than like Five Black Widows, for example. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, that's just where I'm at. That's just where I'm at. So I think the Wachowskis overall um, are really swinging for the fences. And uh, for that alone, I think uh, we should all applaud that and, you know, watch the movies and appreciate them a little more. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, those are our thoughts on the Matrix trilogy. We're going to go ahead and move on to our hopes and predictions for the Matrix Resurrections. Thomas, you seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. I'll say about the the Matrix Resurrections, there are a lot of unique factors at play here. One, Dalton, as you mentioned, the Wachowskis have broken up. This is a film from Lana Wachowski. Yeah. Lily Wachowski has apparently left filmmaking. At least uh, she's a, got a producer credit on this show. That oh my god, I can't think of the title of, but I've, it's on Showtime. I've watched the the season of it that exists. Really good. 
Uh, you're referring to uh, Work in Progress. There we go. That's what it's called. Yeah, Work in Progress is really good. Um, but yeah, as far as we know, they're not they're not working together uh, anytime soon. So that's one. Uh, secondly, w- w- what I find, I don't want to read too much into it, but I find somewhat compelling is that the sort of the the reason they made this what that Lana made this film was it had something to do she was inspired after her parents died whereas Lil whereas Lil is like I'm gonna distance myself from my past Lana kind of retreated back into it and said that she found a lot of comfort in these characters so she I guess Lana has been saying in interviews that Warner Brothers apparently every year was calling them and saying more Matrix more Matrix Would you do more please please do more and they kept saying no but once that uh that passing had happened uh you know Lily blessed the project but then said I'm not going to work on it so um so again one Wachowski versus two I also think that as we sort of we, we've hit on several times with the conversation today I find that our relationship with technology is quite a bit more complex and a lot more aligned with you know, the vision of the original film. So I think there's a lot of potential to say there. And I don't know this. It's my hunch that this movie is going to have something to say about memories and nostalgia is my guess, because of sure. from hyper analyzing the first trailer, it just seems like that's kind of the vibe. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, there's a lot of interesting drivers here that I think are all factoring in what could potentially be a really fascinating film. So with all that said, you know, what makes 2021 such an interesting time for another Matrix sequel? Dalton, I'll throw it to you first. Well, I think I think you're right. I think that this movie will probably traffic in something resembling the, the legacy sequel nostalgia we've gotten acquainted with over the last half decade or so. But I, I think it'll do so in a way that's very surprising. Uh, people have seen this movie. You know, and the, my understanding is the early buzz is there is a creative decision early in the film that is probably going to make some people uh, Matrix Reloaded mad or I get whichever one people are more mad at. I don't know. And I can't wait. I, I expect big swings, if nothing else. And and that that's what gets me very excited is, is seeing where this goes, even if it, it doesn't all cohesively come together. And who knows? It might. But I, I think this film is definitely going to try to reckon with how big the Matrix has been and, and try to reckon with the way our, our relationships to the internet and social media and all this other shit uh, over the last 20 years has, has really sort of changed our understanding of like what the matrix could have and does mean could have meant and does mean currently. We're approaching the matrix with hindsight. And again, I, I think we can't dilute the importance of this film is, ha- you know, really by coincidence, I don't think it was deliberate. It is coming at a time where, we have grown more intimate with technology than ever before. We can be forced to, um, through the pandemic at the same time, this film, as far as just, uh, you know, for someone who my favorite part about the matrix reloaded was that highway scene. We are approaching this film post inception, post John wick post a lot of really cool action films with a lot of really cool action sequences. So even if the, the creative decision that Dalton alludes to is not, uh, is alienating maybe a little bit and, and maybe may rub me the wrong way as you know, parts of um, reloaded and revolutions did um, at the very least uh, we are going to get some mind bending. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe mind melting um, action sequences, at least I hope. And I suspect they are at the very least going to deliver on that. Um, and so, so that's my hope, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm approaching it more as just like, 
I do think it is going to be a contemplative film. It's going to be both. But I think my initial mindset is a very large kind of uh, popcorn flick with a lot of, you know, very cool action sequences. And then I hope I am pleasantly surprised by the new quandaries that it um, decides to put forth. And really, I think they're going to be really compelling. I, I have a hard time seeing how I can't imagine that the, whatever like what? choices are made, they're not going to make me go cool. No, <laughs> like that's the thing. It's like even that and that even if yeah, even if like the movie has like beats that make you go, OK, I don't know about that. Well, but I feel like there's going to be things that, that are just exciting on a uh, so ideas level. I, I want to point out. This film is co-written by David Mitchell, who is the author of the novel Cloud yeah. Atlas, who also helped them. And then one of them. the staff writers on Sense8 is the other Correct. co-writer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that would be Grant Hill. So, oh, wait, sorry. Hold on. Uh, uh, Alexander Herman, uh, or Heman. Uh, so... I think this is going to have a lot of late Wachowski vibes. Yeah, it's kind of my suspicion. I am suspicion. That's not a word. I'm all there. I'm I'm accepting it as a word. Thank you. In fact, words with friends. Where are you? I'm. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all about the weird, wonky swing for the fences Wachowskis. I think we see a little bit of it here in in Reloaded and uh, Revolutions, but I mean, again, as their body of work went on, they just got bigger and more ambitious and somewhat sillier i didn't care i i think it's gonna be compelling even if like dalton says you're gonna see a lot of things where you're like okay i guess this is the, <laughs> this is the direction we're going in all right we'll see let's, yeah. let's do something cool with it i don't know at least has a very strong at the at the onset at the very least i think there is so much mileage in the idea you know look at like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind um, which, and I don't know if I'd call it a matrix knockoff, but I think it's going to at least tread some similar ground in that when you know something and now you're just consciously forgetting it, mm. trying to forget mm. that is a lot of weight. And so I think yeah, it, like just oh, entering okay. in with that is enough to just hopefully carry this film. I could be wrong. Oh, I'm amped. I, I yeah, can't. that's the thing. I am December 22nd. Too. Can't get here fast enough. Absolutely right? not. Pre-order your tickets right now. Please make this a box office success. So last, anything specific that you guys are expecting to see. And here's the reason I ask, I have watched the first trailer, which I thought was the perfect trailer. I made the mistake of watching the, uh, more recent second trailer that just dropped. I don't do it. Don't do it. See, it's just go, going colder. I, cause I wish I had, were go, I, there were things that I would probably like in the movie, but in a trailer made me kind of cock my eyebrow a little bit. Really? Yeah. I, I I wish I had gone in on just that first trailer because I thought the first trailer was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it it does it does what all great trailers do. It, it got me excited. It yep. posed a lot of questions and gave me no answers, and but yet gave me the feeling of this is going to be the Matrix that I want to see. All right, well, gentlemen, anything else you'd like to to say about the Matrix Resurrections? Uh, yeah, no, I think we think we've covered it. I can't I can't wait. We're just a few a scant few weeks away. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, in fact, by the time you're hearing this, it is in fact one week away. Just Whoa. enough time for you to pre-order your tickets. All right, gentlemen. Well, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure speaking for the last two or so hours with you about uh, the Matrix trilogy, the new Matrix. Uh, this is the most in-depth Matrix conversation I think I've ever had, and it's been tons of fun. Uh, Dalton, for listeners who want to get more of your thoughts uh, and takes on films, where can they keep up with you and your work online? Uh, yeah, you can find uh, me over on the Good Trash Genre Cast every single damn week for the last ten years. Uh, we've put out a lot of, a lot of episodes. We're in the middle of a uh, buddy cop or a buddy action comedy marathon, looking at films like, uh, midnight run, lethal weapon, the nice guys, the heat, 
Uh, so you could go check that out. Sort of sort of a, a minor uh, holiday marathon there in the middle with Lethal Weapon and the Nice Guys. Uh, but yeah, every, great, every, great Christmas movies. Yeah, <laughs> Christmas movies uh, in some regards for sure. Uh, but yeah, every every single week we're we're talking about the movies you wouldn't discuss in a film studies class, uh, and we're trying to take that same uh, academic lens to to the the lesser fair and, and big fat air quotes. And you know we have a silly time doing it as well. Uh, again, that's the Good Trash Genre Cast. If you want to follow us on social media, it's at uh, Good Trash Media on Twitter. Uh, if you want to follow me, I don't know why, if you would want to do that, but if you want some matrix tweets, it's, uh, at doll underscore stew also on Twitter. Uh, and, and again, a good trash genre cast everywhere you listen to podcasts, except Spotify, but you know, maybe someday. You don't want to sell out to Spotify. You don't want those ads. It's nothing your against the, you know, it's nothing against the Swedes or anything like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> people are always asking me, Dalton, is it? No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. I have no it's not like I have any Steve's Steve Jobs or Tim Cook loyalty. It just uh, is the easiest platform to be on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, uh, I got to say Good Trash Genre Cast uh, is a great show. I, I feel like I learned a ton about film and film analysis from the Good Trash Genre Cast and listeners, you can, too. So make sure to hit them up on social media and uh, subscribe where your podcasts are found. Uh Daniel Bokemper, where can people keep up with you and your work online? Yeah, for film specifically, of course, The Cinematropolis is where I am uh, contributing most of my time. The um, lookout uh, for our Nightmare Alley discussion. Um, Which will be posting tomorrow. Yeah. If you're listening to this when this episode drops. Exactly. So that is, you can, you can do it. You can maybe even wait and do a double dip if you want. Um, Guillermo del Toro's latest joint. Uh, there will be an essay accompanying that as well. Uh, likewise, we will be talking the matrix resurrections, of course, inevitably. And I imagine I'll be writing something about that too. So, uh, find me there on the cinematropolis. And of course the cinematic somatic, if you must follow me on Twitter, I unfortunately do not cultivate my Twitter quite as much as I should. But, uh, if you'd like to at Daniel Bocamper, um, and of course, again, I would just say more importantly, uh, follow the cinematic schematic wherever you find your podcasts. Swedes or no Swedes, it doesn't matter. As long as you're <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate that. And uh, by the way, stay off Twitter. If you're not on Twitter already, what are you doing? Don't yeah, don't, 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 don't get back on Twitter. God it's terrible. Damn. It's terrible. I, I, I log fire. in and I see like my notifications are maxed out and I'm like, I no, no, don't do it. Don't do Goodbye. it. Bye. Uh, but uh, on the note of don't be on Twitter, if for some reason you are on Twitter and you like following movie takes, you can follow me um, at letter C Masters Talk. That again, that is letter C Masters Talk. Um, tweeting about movies most of the time, sometimes video games, sometimes television shows. Succession's almost done, so I'm not sure what I'm going to tweet about after that. Uh, but yeah, you can check me out there. You can also find The Cinematropolis on Twitter at The Cinematrop or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis. Uh, or as Daniel pointed out, you can find more essays along with all of our podcasts at the cinematropolis.com. And you can subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast app. Now listeners, we appreciate you tuning into this lengthy conversation on the matrix. We actually have a, a bit of a holiday slate coming up. So I'm going to run these by you really quick. So this is a, a great reason to subscribe. If you want more conversations just like this first up nightmare alley that is going to post the day after this episode posts. Uh, so chances are it's uh, both episodes are up by the time you're listening to this. Secondly, Spider-Man No Way Home. Despite me being a grumpy old man and complaining about the Spider-Man news, <laughs> uh, 
we are going to have a review for that up on December 21st. Before we wrap up the, I would say our season, we might have a couple of one-offs here and there, some short one-offs, uh, but we are going to be dropping our review of The Matrix Resurrections with Daniel and Dalton, and then, of course, our uh, good friend, uh, LaRon Chapman, returning to us for our review of The Matrix Resurrections on December 24th, Christmas Eve. It'll be a nice little Christmas uh, gift for you there. So make sure to subscribe. You'll get all this content. There's also other things you might hear me talking about don't look up maybe uh or maybe uh what is it the tragedy of Macbeth. lots of great movies coming out this holiday season licorice pizza lots of good stuff to talk about so uh keep up with all of that by subscribing to the podcast thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you again next time After all these years, to be going back to where it all started, back to the Matrix.